another episode of the planet fantasy podcast this planet is inhabited with fantasy drafts of our favorite properties and characters fantasy cast of dream movies hunger games award shows and anything else we deem to be a part of our vibe on this planet fantasy rules and hello i'm one of your hosts and binger of the cosmos damon and with me is my better half the soup slut himself kyle how's it going man Doing great, my friend. It's a great Sunday evening, and I am fucking hyped to talk about a fantastic show. How are you? I am doing okay. You know, life could be better, but it could be worse. Um, Just ready to get this next week going, and hopefully, uh, you know, it'll get back on track. But, uh, you know, so Kyle, what do you have for the people today for your wreck of the week? Yeah, uh... Bit of an old one. It's been in theaters for, I think, a week or so now. Um, I would love to recommend the movie Bullet Train. Really, really fun movie. Um, Stars Brad Pitt and a bunch of other people that I honestly won't say because for me, because of the marketing of the movie, was it was a bit of a surprise. It feels like it's just cameos up the ass um, in the movie. Uh, And it was directed by David Leach, who did Deadpool 2. I think he did the John Wick movies. Very much has that style of action, very like frantic and chaotic. It's essentially a bunch of uh, hitmen and hitwomen on a bullet train in Japan. Um, and they all have like different motivations to be on the train. And it is fun as hell. I, I love a movie that doesn't try to like, uh, you know, punch out of its weight class and try to be like a movie that it's not. It knows what kind of movie it is. It's just a goofy, chaotic action movie. And that's all you get. And it's so fun. So go check out uh, Bullet Train. Yes, it looks like a lot of fun, and that's all I've heard of anyone who has seen it. Is it? It's like pretty much what you expect it to be, and that's all really you can ever ask for for a movie like that. Um, let's see. My wreck of the week is going to be the new Amazon Prime TV series, The League of Their Own. Um, that was was really one of my favorite movies growing up. It's one of my favorite sports movies, period. And to see Abby Jacobson just like take the reins with this and and really turn it into a new story that really um, appreciates the the original while really giving us something new to uh, chew on. It's really great. I mean, Darcy Carden does a fantastic job. Uh, Nick Offerman and the role he's got is really fun. It's just everything about the show is very pleasant and warm. And also it, it deals with a lot of a lot of stuff that you don't really see dealt with in that time period you know in the 40s um they're dealing with a lot of uh you know of course there's a race issue but the the whole sex equality issue along with you know what it means to be be queer in a time like that is it's it it really i think does it in a really really good way so i definitely recommend a league of their own uh give it a watch it's on amazon prime and yeah that's my wreck and also joining us today as producer and co-host, Anna H. The H is for a 100-year reunion. Anna, hit us with some of the recs you got for us. All right. This week, I am going to recommend Paper Girls. 
which is a graphic novel series by Brian K. Vaughn. Um, and there's actually an Amazon Prime show out, um, but that's not the reason I'm recommending it. It's actually the reason I discovered it, but the artwork is phenomenal. So basically the premise is there's four like 12 year old delivery girls um, and they're out delivering the papers um, the day after Halloween. And there's an invasion from some mysterious force from the future and they get caught up in like warring factions of time travelers. It's actually pretty good so far in the graphic novel series. So definitely up our alley. Check it out. It's phenomenal artwork. I definitely recommend Paper Girls as well. Really fun watch. Um, all right. Well, if that's the case, uh, Kyle said he was very excited to talk about this one. Uh, I am too. Kyle, what are we doing today? What show are we talking about? That's right. We were talking about the brand new Netflix series, The Sandman based on uh, Neil Gaiman's iconic comic series back in the 80s and 90s. Uh, yeah, very, very excited. Um, this is one that I, I, I first read uh, this comic series back in like early 2020, right when the pandemic started. Um, and I hadn't read any of Neil Gaiman's work and kind of dove into The Sandman, immediately just became like obsessed. Uh, forgot about it a little bit just because of like the wave of content that eventually happened after you know streaming got their asses their 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 shit together and we we got things again um but i in hearing about this show was really excited but also very nervous because it if you've read the comics it's a very difficult series to adapt um it's kind of like the dune of of the comic book genre it's just it's such a big spanning epic story um, so we have lots to talk about in the way that they handled season one, which is essentially just volumes one and two of the, the comic series. Um, lots to talk about, lots to break down. Before we get into any awards, just some general thoughts. What were some of our general thoughts on this season? Uh, Anna, what did you think of The Sandman? So because I haven't read the graphic novel series, it was a little hard for me to follow, but the acting was top notch. The visuals were great. Um, as my boy Patton in it, which I'm always a fan of him. Um, the, the cast was just phenomenal. I, I have no notes. It was a little hard to follow, but once we really got into the Rose Walker story, I was like, okay, now I'm really understanding how all these pieces are sort of coming together. So fantastic. Cannot wait for season two. Damon, what were some of your thoughts on the Sandman? Yeah, you know, I'm kind of, I'm kind of in the same boat. Sandman had been something I've heard about through the years growing up. I mean, you know, technically <laughs> the it's been in production or pre-production or it's been trying to be greenlit for years. Um, Joseph Gordon-Levitt was wanting it so badly there for forever. And I was like, oh, that, you know, that, that'd be interesting. And all I ever knew about it was it was about Morpheus, you know, this the manifestation of dreams. And I thought that was a really cool concept, but I really never learned anything else past that. Um, and then recently, you know, I took a, a dive into, thanks to Anna, into the show Lucifer, which is very loosely tied to this show, but not really. Um, you know, they apparently they decided for for the Sandman to not have any DC ties. Like, it is not connected, actually, to the DC universe. Um, whereas, you know, Lucifer still kind of, sort of, really was and wasn't, of course. But, you know, I was like, you know, got an idea of what that world's kind of like. And then jumping into this, it's just, it's so fun and, and energetic and also dark 
and meaningful. Um, it was, it, I found myself to be very perplexed a lot of the time. I'm just like, this is a very interesting choice. Like, I really never knew what was going to really happen. Um, very interesting, but fun pace. Um, I just felt like every ep- episode to episode, you, I never really knew what to expect. Each episode kind of had its own kind of tone and vibe and, and really told its own story. Um, I really like that they each kind of felt like a, a chapter on its own, um, especially in like feel like in the middle of the season. I felt like it was its strongest and each episode was just so fun and unique to its own. Uh, the character work was really great. I mean, getting to meet Dream in this first episode and really we have no idea who he is. He's stuck in that in that glass cage for 100 years and he doesn't say anything and like that's a really weird way to to meet your protagonist your 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 star and then as you get to know, finally get to know him he's kind of a dick but also kind of a kind of you can kind of relate and kind of understand where he's coming from he is a king of his realm he does have to make the hard decisions and you see hey he slowly you know he does have a character arc you know he kind of learns to maybe realize he needs help and to listen to people and so that was really fun. It's just it's just a really unique story that I never really have seen told, you know. And I don't know if they could have done it until now, just with, you know, with uh, the actors and what Gaiman had as his vision for it. And I'm really glad they waited because, I mean, look who we got is freaking Lucifer. Gwendolyn Christie just had such a great presence. Um, I love Lucian. I love freaking Cain and Abel. Goldie and Gregory was like when I saw that I was like that's a gargoyle that was such a cool scene where he's playing you know getting them off the roof um Rose Walker that whole vortex thing we'll probably get into that more that was a very interesting idea and and everything but I I had a lot of fun I very much enjoyed it and I mean as a, t- a testament to the story in the season one I'm very very ready to see what happens in season two so they got me hooked so, Kyle, talk to us. What, what were your thoughts on this? You know, you had read the the graphic novel before and everything. So, how did this compare to you? Uh, yeah, like I said, going in, very nervous. I was, I actually can't remember being this nervous about the adaptation of something in a long time, just because a lot of times, you know, like with the boys or Invincible, uh, watched those not really knowing the source material and then made the conscious decision to not. I still have not read read the boys or Invincible because now I'm I'm into the show and I want I don't want to be spoiled on what they the future direction they might go. Going into this though, yeah, like I said, had very very recent fond memories of the the graphic novel, um, and you know I have started to read a lot more of Gaiman's work and I was very nervous because it is such a sprawling sprawling story. One thing I'll say right off the bat, I with all the fucking disasters going on at Warner Brothers, I am so glad that Netflix picked this up. Um, and now I need Netflix to get all of the money in the world to keep making it. Like this is one of the I will be heartbroken if this show doesn't get the chance to really fully adapt the the graphic novels. Because like I said, this is only it takes most of volume one and a little bit of volume two out of ten volumes, 75 issues total. So they have a lot of, there's a lot to, to cover, <laughs> um, but this is a really strong start. I mean, y'all y'all hit the nail on the head with the casting. 
every casting choice was one that I I have I haven't really thought about like who I would pick for the the roles in this story before, and then seeing everyone that they chose for these roles, down to you know Matthew the Raven with uh, Patton Oswalt, um, fucking Boyd Holbrook as the Corinthian is so good. We'll talk a lot more about that later. And also my favorite choice, uh, David Tulis as John D. I mean, just everyone is so good. Uh, even yeah, Tom Sturridge as, as dream. I mean, it's a, it's a difficult role to play. And also I think what I love about dream in particular, Morpheus, Sandman, whatever you want to call him. Um, I love that he, he's kind of that brooding, anti-hero archetype as the show starts and as the graphic novel starts but i think that what a lot of writers lose when they give us characters like that i call it the batman problem like sometimes they go a little heavy on the dark and brooding and they forget about like the compassionate parts of those characters and he actually like damon said it he has a real arc in this season while still being like a very dark character some of the choices he makes light as baby i mean is fucking we'll get into that too like he makes some really really difficult choices here and and tough looks for you know choices that he makes but also you get to see especially in episode um six how he starts to have a new perspective on humanity and and mankind and really like his purpose um as one of the endless and i think that they did a really good job of like it's honestly as dark as this show is and as the graphic novel is it gets very dark and deals with very dark themes, but it's honestly a very optimistic story when you think about it. Cause it's like all about how dreams have an important role in our life. And like if without dreams, we don't have any hope. And so I just think that it was very, very cool to see Guyman's like the heart of his story made it into the show in a very, very like real way. Like it, it was not lost at all. So, and obviously a lot of that has to do with keeping him as a showrunner. Um, that needs to happen with any story that you adapt. I just think that like the writer should always be involved in, in some capacity. Um, yeah. So I, it was, I'm very, very, very satisfied with this first season and I can't wait to give some awards out. So we ready? Let's do this. And now for the Men of Good Fortune Award, also known as the Wallflower Award. Yes, the Wallflower Award, one of my favorites. This is where we get to talk about the character performance of someone who just was there and maybe not there long enough. We just, we loved everything about it and we wanted more. And either, you know, they did what they were supposed to or we feel like their role maybe was lacking and needed more time to develop on the screen. With that being said, who are those nominees going to be? Let's start with you, Anna. Who you got? Okay, so I'm assuming I'm not allowed to pick the Gargoyles. <laughs> Even though they were my favorite in the whole thing. Um, the whole scene with Gregory, I was just emotionally devastated. And I'm sure, like, since I watched it behind the two of you, you probably just saw that and went, well, Anna's going to cry. Um Actually, I think my favorite side character was Hob. I thought that Dream's friendship with him was extremely entertaining. And I really could have just watched an entire show with the two of them just meeting up every century. I think Sandman came out first, but it had very Invisible Life of Addie LaRue vibes to it, which I really enjoyed. And even and you got to explore Hob and like his 
deepest, darkest moments, right? Like he lost his wife, his son died. He's completely alone. He's destitute. He's completely alone in the world. And he could have just cashed it in and said, you know what? I'm done. Like I'm, I'm ready to be put to rest, but he is a fighter. And you get to see this guy from the 1300s and the 1980s, right? Um, just walking around with that big old blocky cell phone. Um, and it was actually really cool when you see him and he actually purchases the inn to keep it from going away. So he had his tie to his past and so Dream could easily find him again. I thought that was just really beautiful and touching. And even though he was only in there for an episode, you really got to explore who he was as a person and he kind of grew on me. He was a slime ball, but I love him. <laughs> Now I want to say I I be, that was my head canon, but is that fact that he did he was the one who bought the the inn? Is that is he is he the owner? Is that a yes. canon in the book? Oh, okay. absolutely. Good. Yeah. It, I think so because he um, was like okay. doing the paperwork and the bills and stuff. Unless he's like right. the manager or something. True. Yeah, I, I love that part. I love me some Hob. He's fantastic. Um, Kyle, who's your nominee for Wallflower? This is actually like this is usually one of my favorite awards for the FEs and is is a really, really hard award this time because one, like we still have hopefully if you know if this gets money and gets renewed for a season two, we have a long ways to go. So I feel like a lot of these characters will get their moment to shine in the future. But also, I don't know about y'all, but I felt like season one did a really great job of balancing arcs and like letting a lot of characters have times to shine. Um that being said, I will say uh, for this pick. I was really excited to see the adaptation. Um, I loved who they picked to cast in the role and a new updated take on the role. I'm going to go with uh, Jenna Coleman as Joanna Constantine. Um, kind of another example of Damon was talking about Lucifer. Uh, I loved Matt Ryan's take on Constantine in in his you know ill-fated <laughs> one season series that should not have gotten canceled, and also you know just in the CW in general. Um, don't always love those shows, but I would love every time he would show up in like Legends of, Legends of Tomorrow and stuff. Um, and I just love the character in general, and especially like the role that uh, Constantine plays in the the graphic novel. Uh, I love the updated take, and I love that they wanted to separate themselves from the the, the take that we've seen, both with Keanu Reeves's take and uh, Matt Ryan and, and casting Jenna Coleman um, instead of just casting her as you know because. Uh, Constantine does have a daughter named Joanna. Instead of casting her as the daughter, they're just like, no, this is this is Constantine. Like, this is our take on Constantine. I thought she was fantastic. Obviously, Jenna Coleman uh, is no stranger to genre um, roles, but I think that she was really good in the in the time that we saw, and I just would have loved to see a little bit more expounded upon her present day role. I love the um, Anna mentioned. Uh, Hob, I love in his episode the the bit that we got to see with her in in the past, but the the episode that we saw with her and her ex girlfriend and like the way that Dream was like unwittingly kind of helping her, but also realizing that she like knows her shit was really great. And like their their back and forth was great. Uh, yes, yeah, Anna nails it. Very impossible girl, uh, Doctor Who vibes. But she, yeah, she's just a lot of fun. And I love Jenna Coleman. She's just a very, very fun, entertaining actress. And I think that she was really, really great as uh, Constantine. So that's my pick. Fantastic one. I love Jenna Coleman. I, this, like Kyle said, this is kind of uh, uncharacteristically hard. There's so many really 
great supporting characters and side characters that we just don't see nearly enough of. Um, I, I really thought about going with Lucifer, but I, I mean, clearly from what we see at the end of season one, we're getting a uh, way more of her down the line. So I know she's going to kill it. Um, and then, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm really glad Hobb got nominated. I thought about, you know, John D, but at the same time, I felt like his arc was, was done masterfully. And I don't know if he really needed more of that. Um, so I think I'm going to go on the side of death. Kirby Howell Baptiste as death was just so fun. Okay. Like apparently from the comics, you know, in the graphic novel, she's very bubbly. Um, and like, I wouldn't call death bubbly in this, in this iteration, but she's very positive. She's very warm and gentle. Um, she seems like sunshine, you know, just like a very, very calm but persistent uh, sunshine on a on a great calm day, and just seeing how her and Dream interacted, and and this is really when we first realized, like, get another idea of like, okay, maybe Dream isn't the worst guy ever. Maybe there is way more to him than we really know. Because Death is amazing. She seems so great, and she trusts him. She loves him. So there's something more there for us to discover at some point. But just for her her presence, like she was so subtle and, and very simple. And I think that really was what was needed for this role. You know, just the whole idea of like she was like she wants to be there for these people. She wants to be the last thing that they they see and be the, the guide to lead them to their afterlife. And just the way they did the each scene, you know, each person not really sure like what's happening they they always notice her it's like hey you know what's what's up what's going on you know and just the way she she brings them and like they realize it without really having to say anything i thought was just like especially the old man playing the song i thought i think that was probably my favorite one you know like i don't know it you know that's that was it it's just i definitely think we will get more of her but i wanted even more even in this season um i just thought she was she did such a brilliant job that I loved it. So death would be my nominee. And so that means we have the three. We have the man who does not die. We have death herself. And we have Joanna Constantine. Who are we going to roll with for that win? Anna, who you got? Oh, this one's so hard. Like these were all like these were the three correct choices when I saw Kirby on screen and just how she interacted um, in her role. I was like, wow, like if Kirby was on the other side of the veil, ready to welcome me, like I would not be afraid. Right. Um, she's just so warm and cheery, even with the small scene where she's just like getting an apple from the fruit vendor. Right. Um, oh, God. I really, really love Hob, but I think I'm going to have to go with death. I think that was a perfect personification of death. So Kirby takes it for me. All right. One vote for death. Kyle, what about you? Yeah, I'm also I'm having a hard time. Like these are all three really great picks. Um, just a couple shout outs to because these are all like Anna's right. These are the correct three, but also a shout out to our guy Mark Hamill as Merv Pumpkinhead, another fucking inspired casting choice. And I loved his like one scene that he's in. <laughs> um, I, oh, man, I really, 
I didn't full disclosure. Maybe this is just spoiling the future of this episode. I didn't vote for or nominate Kirby for this episode be, or for this award because I have a strong feeling I want her to win another award much later on. <laughs> um, but she's phenomenal. I mean, she's so good. I was really excited about the way they would adapt her character and specifically, specifically the 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 issue that they pulled for that episode. Um, I love the combination of those two stories because the the story of Dream getting the, his pep talk from Death and then the story of kind of his relationship and friendship with Hob, they are not like back to back in the in the graphic novels. There's some space in between them. So I actually really love the way they put them together in that episode. Um, I enjoyed that continuity. But I think I'm going to vote for her as well. I think that we will see much more of her in the future um, in f- further seasons. But as for this season, like she was just magnetic every time she was on screen. And I, yeah, you know, if you want uh, the shameless plug, if you want another t- very similar take on death, uh, go back a few episodes to 108, our jukebox draft, um, to listen to a very, very, very similar take on death's role. But as soon as I remembered the graphic novel and like understood that's what they were doing and the role that she plays, it was very emotionally resonant. And I thought that she was phenomenal. So that's my vote. Yes, Anna, we did forget to mention the man, the Lord of Dance himself, <laughs> Lord Tywin Lannister. Uh, he He's always so fun at how terrible of a person he plays. Like, I've never, I think I've seen him play good once, and I was like, nah, I'm not, I'm not down with this. He needs to be a fucking prick, Kyle, I agree. And he's so, he's brilliant at it, okay? Um, okay, so, yeah, that's, that's two votes for death, then. Um, well... I'm I'm going to go against my own my own nom, even though she does get the win. I I'm going with Jenna Coleman as Joanna Constantine. Um, it's a different it's a slightly different take of the Constantine we know. She's not as disheveled, or or you know as as chaotic maybe as our guy tends to be, but she still has the the same the same makeup. Okay, the you know a lot of the same bare bones. And she's so fun in a role like that. She's very wry and very bi. Very wry, very bi. Um, and she, she had chemistry with everyone she was on screen. And that's really all you can ask for 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 someone like that. Okay, you know, like she, you're like, oh, yeah, she can make out with that person. I can see it. Oh, yeah, she could be with him. I, I want that to happen. It's just like she just makes it work with everyone. That little, like, smirk that she has is great. And just... You believe her in this role like it's just like everything she did i was like i i'm there i'm 100 sold and i wanted more of this constantine i want to see her own show i need to see in her her more episodes like help dream out be it maybe a more more of a supporting role in the future you know i don't know how much constantine plays into the role of the sandman but even if maybe they don't in the graphic novel maybe we get some fun stuff out of this because her performance i thought was was brilliant so that'd be my vote but that's not the win and the winner is death and now on to our dream country award 
That's right. The Dream Country Award, also known this time as the Kodak Moment. Uh, this movie or this show is just fucking visually arresting, much like its source material. A lot of shots directly pulled from panels of the graphic novel, um, which made me very happy. Uh, yeah. So, Damon, what is your nominee for the Kodak Moment? Yeah, I mean. I, I really didn't want to just like rewatch the show again and just like pause at random spots and be like, oh, that looks great. Um, and, you know, there's only so many, there's a limited amount of, of shots and stills online right now. You know, it, it just really came out. Um, so I'm just going straight off the dome, off of memory, what really stood out to me. And one was the shot of hell with, you know, when Matthew gives us the great line, oh, you know, <laughs> they're carrying their own fire? Like, it's like, yeah, you know, they have to carry their own. It's just, and it like kind of spreads out and, and pans out. And you see the just the line of hundreds of thousands of people with flames. And just a really cool striking scene. And, you know, just gives you an idea of just, you know, what kind of hell we're, we're de- dealing with in this series. So that would be my nom. Love it. Anna, what's your nominee for this board? So mine is... Not as cool as Damon's, but I thought it was a really cool shot. It's the scene where Dream is kneeling and he's talking to Matthew for the first time. And there's like rain coming down around them when uh, Constantine is in her girlfriend's apartment. It, it's not like the most, it's not the scene you're going to remember the most, but that one shot just looks like it's straight out of the comic. I didn't actually read the comic, but it if that was a comic panel, I feel like that one would be it. And I just thought the lighting was fantastic. I loved that shot. I love it. I'm sensing a, a, a trend here, but unfortunately mine will not involve Matthew. Matthew, I love you. I'm sorry. I, I love you so much. Um, I'm going to go with one that is, it's actually from the very first episode, um, very early on in the show. It is pulled directly directly from the graphic novel and it's pretty simple and a lot of stuff like you know the rendering of hell or the the dreaming and stuff like that they're very visually arresting this is just a very plain shot but it's the shot of dream being trapped in the binding circle um when they first get him and you see the helmet you see basically all his, his tools that he will eventually lose and he's kind of in like this this hunched position and it's kind of an aerial shot from above uh, I saw that and I was I was fully doing like the Leo meme and like pointing at the screen and it's just like it's uh, yes exactly Tom Sturridge's ass plays a big role in that um, uh, for an episode that we see him you know mostly naked in for the entire episode that being the most arresting shot for me it, you know it's a big deal like it, it, yeah it's just it's really cool you get the whole circle and you get to see him with the, that iconic um, helm on and it's just it's a. It would be cool even if it wasn't from the the source material, but because it's, I I'm a sucker for that. Whether it's a Marvel movie or whatever, I love seeing a, an artist's take on something being displayed on on the big screen or on on the screen in a very accurate way. So that's my nom. All right, we've got uh, a nominee from Hell. We've got a nominee from our favorite Raven. We got a nominee from the Binding Circle. Great noms, Damon. Where are you leaning? Let's get in your vote. Hmm, that's tough. Those are three really fun ones, really good ones. I think I am going to 
lean with Dream Trapped in the Binding Circle. Um, I definitely think that was one of the more standout moments and and visuals that we get in the first few episodes. And, I mean, for one, the helm is just so cool. Like, I really like the design of it and just the idea of, like, he has his, his like, his tools, like those things, yet, you know, they're almost like a part of him. And I, I like that whole kind of plot line. You know, he loses them, he has to get them back. Um, I just, I really love the the look of that one. So I need my tools. Um, yeah, that's that's got my vote. <laughs> oh, God. I don't know why I just thought of Dennis. Like, I just came to me when you said tools, and I all could think of it. Fetish shit. I like to bind. I like to be bound. I need my tools. Uh, Anna, what's getting your vote for this award? Dennis's dream. That's what we need. Dennis's dream. And Amazing. Charlie is Lucian. And uh, Danny is Lucifer, of course. <laughs> no, Danny DeVito in every single role except for the gargoyles. Which will be played by Mark Hamill. I'm calling it. What do we have to do to get this made? Um, okay. So I think I'm going to go with the same one. Because like while the shot of hell is super impressive. I think the binding circle is really unique to this particular series. And you're not going to see that one anywhere else. So it's binding circle for me. Yeah, I, I'm going to make it a clean sweep. Um, all three of these are fantastic. I, I really, The whole episode that's set in hell, episode four, is so fun. And it's just very, all of it is very visually arresting. Um, and so I love that shot. And I also really love um, the shot of, of Dream meeting Matthew. I think it's a great, great call, Anna. Like you said, it's not the most obvious pick, but it is a very like beautiful shot. Um, but yeah, I'm going to go with the Binding Circle just because it is something that really just leaps from the page. And yeah, it, that was an early moment when I was watching the first episode where I was like, okay, I feel, I don't feel nervous anymore. Like I'm very, I feel okay with them. Do, they're going to do a good job with this story. <laughs> so that gets the clean sweep. And the winner is Death in the Binding Circle. And now for our Fables and Reflections Award, also known as Best Quote. Yes, some very good lines in this one. What's going to end up being our favorite? Let's go to you, Kyle. What's your nom for best quote? Okay, um, lots of great choices. I promise to not keep harping on it, but this is another thing that I'm really like another award where like a lot of this stuff, these quotes were, if not word for word, very close to verbatim pulled from the the graphic novel, which was very great because Guyman's writing. He writes dialogue in a very, very provocative and uh, compelling way. So yeah, a lot of these lines are great. Um, I'm going to go with one from our guy Dream in episode four. Uh, he, you know, wins his, his really fucking cool battle with Lucifer that I'm sure we'll talk about in a little bit. Uh, but yeah, at the end of it, she still says like, you're still in my domain. Like you don't have power here. Uh, and he kind of fires back with this incredible retort and says, what power would hell have if those here in prison were not able to dream of heaven? And that is just such a fucking cool line. It's like, it's badass for like our hero to have, but also like I was kind of talking about at the top, the top of this episode, 
I think that represents like what this show is about and that it's a very dark show and dream is a very dark character and he's, his motivations are sometimes kind of questioned and we don't really, we're not really fully rooting for him all the time, but he, then he gives like a line like this and you're like, Oh shit, that's a good point. <laughs> like what, you know, we see how miserable it is in this, in this version of hell, right? Like we, he, we get the moment earlier, the really sad moment when he sees his former lover from another life. And, uh, I love that in the same episode that that happens, you get that we kind of get go, come back on his side, with this line where he talks about how, you know, hell doesn't mean anything for these people because they still have, they're still able to dream of, of heaven or dream of, of getting out and they have that hope. And that, I mean, that's the title of the episode, a hope in hell. So uh, obviously we're going to see more of Lucifer and more of what happens in hell and, and all of that in future seasons. But I, I thought that line was great. So that's my nom. I love it. Um, I'm going to go ahead and go next and I'm going to give a shout out to one of my favorite characters in the series. It's my guy Gilbert, Fiddler's Green, man. Just like, just, like shout out to for one when we first get introduced to Fiddler's Green. It's like you know we see the 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 uh, the glass and its place in the uh, you know the monastery or wherever you know his fortress, his castle. And you see you know see the Corinthian and you see it, it's Galt, Galt. Um, and then uh, Fiddler's Green. It's like you don't see a face, and I'm like, what's that supposed to be? And then you realize, oh, he's literally a place. He's a location. He's this lush, great, just awesome place in the dream world. And just Gilbert as a person was so fun and so great. His relationship with Rose and the rest of that crew was was fantastic. He was pretty much their, you know, their granddad of the group. And he was so pleasant. And then the, so the scene with him and Rose, when Rose is like, you know, I gave myself like two minutes to be happy. And he's like, you know, so many people are looking for reasons to be unhappy is, is my line. And it's it's just where a lot of lines in this is about kind of like the concept of dreams and if intangible concepts and intangible things and how important they are to us. And this is more along the lines of just society and, and what it says about us. You know, he's just like people tend to be the most content when they're they're dealing with 50, 100 different things and they're uneasy and uncomfortable, you know, and it's like, it seems almost like people are never happy unless we're unhappy, which is something we've heard, you know, thousands of times before, but you know, it's just, it holds so true. And I love the way Gilbert uh, delivered it. So that would be my quote. And Anna, what's yours? Oh man, I'm torn between two of them. And I was hoping one of you guys were going to nom one so I could nom the other one. Uh, Okay, so I'm torn between the opening monologue from Dream. There's like a specific line in there. And then I'm also torn between a quote from Galt. Um, I'm, I don't think I'm going to nom the quote from Galt, but I, I do want to just give it a shout out. Um, towards the end of the series when she's introduced and she says, I wish to be a dream rather than a nightmare to inspire rather than frighten. And then there's some dialogue in between. And then she goes, even a nightmare can dream, my Lord. And I just thought that was so beautiful. Um, I'm actually going to nominate a piece from uh, the opening monologue in episode one. Uh, and sorry, apologies. <laughs> I'm going to be on my monologue bullshit for a minute. Um, 
We begin in the waking world, which humanity insists on calling the real world, as if your dreams have no effect upon the choices you make. You mortals go about your works, your loves, your wars, as if the waking world is all that matters. But there is another life that awaits you when you close your eyes and enter my realm. For I am the king of dreams and nightmares. When the waking world leaves you wanting and weary, sleep brings you here to find freedom and adventure. To face your fears and fantasies in dreams and nightmares that I create, and which I must control lest they consume and destroy you. That is my purpose and my function, or at least it was, until I left my kingdom to pursue a rogue nightmare. So the portion that I'm nominating is the line, when the waking world leaves you wanting and weary, sleep brings you here to find freedom and adventure. I just thought, wow, that's Neil, his beautiful dialogue. He's just like a fantastic writer, and it definitely shows that he was part of the show. I, I just phenomenal. Whenever he writes something, my my brain just explodes because it's just so beautifully written. And it, it that was just one of the opening lines. I'm like, yep, this is one of his works. Yes, it was, and that's such a good one. So we have two from Dream and one from Fiddler's Green. Who's getting the win? Kyle, who's got your vote? Oh man. Very, very difficult choice again. Uh, I want to quickly shout out to as well, really quick, um, two honorable mentions. One is from Death. It is as natural to die as it is to live. And if that's not the most fucking gut-wrenching, like that that gets at the whole theme of that episode in a really beautiful way. And then uh, I think that I couldn't track, I was looking at quotes, couldn't track if this was from the finale or the penultimate episode. I think it's the finale. It's towards the end. Dream says, we do not choose to be created, nor do we choose how we are made. That feels very reminiscent of Gandalf. We don't choose. All we have to do is to, Anna knows it. Just I, I'm butchering it, but you know the one I'm talking about, right? Like that, that very much gave me the vibe of that that line. Loved it. Um, it's not nominated. I just wanted to shout it out. Uh, for the ones that are nominated, I think I'm going to go with... Yeah, I'm going to go with Anna's pick. Um, that whole monologue is beautiful and perfectly sets up the story. Uh, sets up Tom Sturge's dream. I will say I got a bit of the goosebumps when I heard his voice for the first time. I was like, holy shit, this is how I always expected the Sandman to sound. Like, it was very cool. Um, but, yeah. And then... Yes, thank you, Anna. Uh, that, that's the, the Gandalf quote I was thinking of. Um, but especially the, the excerpt you're pulling from this monologue about the world leaving you wanting and weary and then sleep. Again, like that's kind of what I was talking about with the last uh, award or with my, with my pick even, like Dream has a bit of optimism to him. Even in this opening monologue, he's talking about how like dreams have that function and purpose and they're there for a reason to take you away from the world for a while. Um, yeah. So it's a, it's a really, really great quote sums up the the whole theme of the series really well. So that's uh that's my vote. All right. Let's see where I'm going to go with that. Um, I think I'm actually going to go with Kyle's. Um, I believe that was what I was going to go with first. And then you get, you had it, you know, what power would hell have if those here in prison were not able to dream of heaven? You know, and it, it comes from, you know, because Lucifer asked, what power does, do dreams have in hell? You know, as if, like, you you really do not have any power here. And 
obviously he does. It's it's such a strong idea of like everyone, and it really kind of goes along with that quote from uh, Goat. You uh, you know the idea that even nightmares dream. It, it's the idea that if you can want something more, you 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 know if you can yearn for something, you can dream, and it's just as primal of an instinct as anything else in us. And I, I just think it really ties into the whole concept of the show and and just how important dreams are to to us and to everything. So I think that's got my vote. So Anna, tiebreaker time. What you oh, got? It would come down to the two dream quotes. Um, I think I'm gonna go with the one I nommed just because it was a really strong start to the series and it set the tone and it, it captured me right from the get-go so um yeah the winner is uh wanting and weary and up next the slaughter on fifth avenue award that's right now if you're you may be questioning the name of some of these awards um i decided to get real on my bullshit and name each of them after issues or volumes of the uh, the graphic novel so i promise this is not just out of left field this is one of the uh graphic novel or one of the graphic novel titles um class bully basically is our, our award right now um best villain best antagonist there's quite a few to pick from uh some of these characters are more morally ambiguous but some of them are just straight up evil so i'll be interested to see the directions that we go in um anna kick us off what's getting your nom for class bully i feel like the corinthian is the obvious choice but i'm actually going to go with desire desire's playing a long game here and i appreciate it kind of want to see what they're doing also they're very fabulous and i love a fabulous evil villain um yeah it's just so conniving like what's happening here um especially with the reveal at the end with unity and desire hooking up i i really gotta know what's happening it it's just it's gonna be eating away at the back of my brain i have to know i have to know just that that mic drop moment for me like i i i my jaw dropped what an evil conniving creature i it's desire all day every day all right one nom for desire uh damon what's getting your nom for class bully it, it's got to be the corinthian okay um i mean just for the moment you see him step on on screen he's just got this vibe this energy he's looking so sharp and he's pretty much eye fucking everybody and everything even with no eyes. Um, well, he's got eyes, but they're they're nightmarish. We won't talk about those. <laughs> um, just the idea of, like, he, you know, he's this loose nightmare. And the fact that he's kind of behind putting, you know, keeping Dream locked up for so long. And he's had his hands in a bunch of other stuff, which apparently I hear is not exactly the case in the graphic novel. So props to them for giving him a much more substantial role, which I think was the way to go. I love the Corinthian. He's just, he was charming and sociopathic in that kind of way. And I love the idea that he comes around and really creates the, the, uh, the energy that was required to really start the serial killer craze. <laughs> you know, he like really like just gives us that, that urge for people to, you know, really latch into their, uh, 
their carnal desires and it gives us the amazing serial convention which is just one of my favorite play on words ever and it's just hilarious so uh yeah uh anna i just need to talk about the serial convention real quick uh i love how jed and the serial convention was like where's all the damn cereal and i'm like excellent question jed also sparked the notion in my mind like if you were a serial killer going to a fake cereal convention what cereal would you eat like this is the lucky charm situation is this honey bunches of oats raisin bran i got a lot of questions here i'm gonna eat shredded wheat so they know exactly what vibe i'm getting <laughs> Good God. Wheat germ that's the thing i don't think Love they care they they didn't care about the cereal they did it was the name only like there was no big signs for cereal out there or anything there was like no bowls to make it look like they were there for cereal it was just a name and then a bunch of creepy looking dudes and women walking around it's like great okay, yeah y'all really blended in y'all good job here's my question though like if these people are like quote-unquote collectors slash serial killers right they spend all their time meticulously planning on how they're gonna murder people who who did not think to get in touch with General Fucking Mills to get some serial sponsorship there? Like that just seems like somebody dropped the ball. They Sorry. they're thinking about other priorities. They their their priorities was not about the uh, clouding themselves. You know they they just wanted to get a place. They thought the serial convention was good enough. They they not really like don't... covering their damn cover story. <laughs> exactly. Amazing. Um, Kyle says uh, the tricks. Tricks is um, his vote. No. Yeah. No. 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 That's. I. <laughs> I, I want to vote for Tricks Rabbit, but you know, we just we know he's a killer anyway. Um, I am delighted, delighted that my first choice is still available. So I'm gonna go ahead and grab it. Uh, David Tulis as John D is just something to behold. Um, this is another example. So Damon just mentioned, yeah, uh, Boyd Holbrook as the Corinthian. His role is very, very expanded in this as opposed to the graphic novel. I loved that choice and I loved, loved the characterization of John D in this because he really doesn't have a whole lot of sympathetic um, backstory to him in the comic. He's just basically kind of a madman. Um, he's a lot more sinister and he's very sinister in this. I will say, I obviously recommend reading this horror material. I will say the the uh, issue that this the episode that he is most featured in is based on called 24 hours. Um, I recommend it, but it's a deeply, deeply disturbing and upsetting issue. Like it's probably the most upsetting comic I've ever read. So just take that as you will. There's a lot of just if you watch the episode, you can kind of infer and imagine what they expand upon on, on the page. Um, that being said, I think that the way he played it was just so fucking unnerving. Like, I love David Tulis. Obviously, he plays, you know, my favorite Harry Potter character, Lupin. And despite how much of a mess his character was in Wonder Woman, I think he did a good job with what he could do. Um, I've always thought he's a great actor. He's great in the Fargo uh, TV series and the role that he has there. Um, and like I said, that yeah, they gave John a lot more of a sympathetic kind of background here with the shit that went that happened with his mother and then it's a testament to episode four you know a hope in hell you know half of the time we spend in hell is is great but the, the fact that there's an episode set in hell and the scariest things that happen in that episode are just in a car 
with him and our girl, Dr. Sharon from Ted Lasso. Uh, that stuff is just absolutely unnerving. And I think David Tulis plays it so well. Um, and we always talk about like villains, a compelling villain is, is one that believes that they're in the right. And I think that the way he plays John and the way that he believes that like lying is the worst thing that you can do. And what he wants to do is to just reveal the truth and for everyone to stop lying. And I think that's what makes the episode 24 seven so damn effective and just chilling at the end of it. Nothing, you know, overly supernatural happens to cause all of that hor horrible violence at the end of the episode. It's people just doing thing, things that they wanted to in their base instincts. Like, it's just humans being humans and being terrible. Like, there's a reason I think that they, the showrunners put that episode right before the what is ultimately the most optimistic episode of the series with death. Like, because we get the contrast, right? Um, and the way David Tulis plays it in that diner, I mean, that whole episode is just slow burn. It's just building tension and the way he plays it and kind of like, surveying the whole diner and watching all these lives uh inter intersect and kind of fucking with them and manipulating them and then the kind of the the climax at the end of him fighting dream and then being trapped uh yeah i think honestly like i i don't think it's hyperbole i really do think this is probably one of my favorite villain performances in any medium tv show me movie whatever in in probably the last like five ten years i mean it's just i think it's so well done I don't think we'll see any more of him uh, in the comic. He really doesn't show up after that point. He has a lot more ties to DC lore um, in the source material. He's actually a Justice League villain every now and then. We're not going to see that in the show, obviously. But uh, if that's all we get from him, I'm okay with that because I thought it was a, a masterstroke. So that's my nom. Whew. Okay, those are the three, I believe, correct ones. I don't know where we're going with it. Um... Good luck, Anna. Who are you voting for? So um, before I tell you who I'm going to vote for, I'm just going to piggyback off of Kyle's uh, nom for a second. I think the institution he theoretically escaped from is it's supposed to be Arkham, right? Okay, so the fact that Arkham... So for those of you who don't know, I lived in Buffalo for about four years or so. The place that it's supposed to be is located on main street. And I lived like a block away from that. So the fact that like this and the whole series was shot in England, so it wasn't actually shot in Buffalo, but I know exactly the place that they're like propositioning is like the hospital. And I'm like, wow, I lived a block away from Arkham. That's fucking cool. Um, but yeah, going back to like what Kyle said, that acting performance was phenomenal. The only reason I'm not going to pick him is because I feel as though we're going to see him in a later series, like in a later season. The Corinthian arc seems to be theoretically wrapped up for now. I have a feeling they may try to resurrect him at some point in the future, but this personification of the Corinthian, I think, was so beautifully done. It was wrapped up. He was really the big bad of the season, so... Despite David's overall performance, I think the Corinthian is the choice I have to go with. Very, very good points. Um, that's definitely the reason why I'm saying Desire's not going to get my vote. We're going to get much more of Desire down the road, I'm sure. Um, that's me saying just, just off of foreshadowing, of course. But very great role. I mean, I really liked every time we saw Desire on screen. Very conniving, very manipulative, 
very mischievous. It gives me like Queen Faye vibes, you know, like it's like, okay, you never really quite know what you're going to get with them and everything they're doing and everything they're saying seems like a lie or a trick. And I love characters like that. Um, the Corinthian, as I said before, is just so, so fun, so sociopathically charming and, and the way, you know, you know, taking all everyone's eyes and about, you know, getting to their soul. And I love the way the uh, serial convention uh, lead supervisors like try to get his uh, attention, like, you know, just becoming copycat killers, essentially. He's like, well, you, you, that, that did it. You know, I'm here now. Um, and just the, the way he seems so satisfied in everything he did, from killing to fucking to everything. Like, he just was a guy of full vice. And Boyd Holbrook just was emphatic in that. I, I think just the look, the acting, the vibe, I, I loved it. But then there's John D, who is just this very complex, emotional character who who just wants people to stop lying. He just wants there to be truth, and he goes off the deep end with it. Of course, he's not he's very unstable, and it gives us one of the most uncomfortable, tense episodes of TV I've ever watched. Like, we'll talk more about that, I'm sure, but. Just David Lewis gave us this very sympathetic character while also being so creepy and haunting. And man, you were just like, like, please don't hurt Rosemary. I was so happy, so happy that Rosemary lived and he gave her something to where she told him she'd keep living and not get hurt. Like, whoa, okay. And that really gives you this this confused feeling because you're like, okay, wow, he... He just he wants to do right, and then you see what he does in the next episode. He's like, "This dude's fucked up. Like, he needs some help." And you know, Dream is able to to corral him. So I, I'm while well, I'm thinking, Anna, what, what do you have to say? <laughs> Forget about Rosemary. What about the dog? I was so stressed for that Rottweiler. I think the Rottweiler's name was Susie. When I found out the dog was in the back seat with him. I was like, oh my God, he's going to kill this dog and I'm going to be crying and I'm not going to be able to do the awards. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I was stressed for Rosemary too. That was a very, very stressful episode for me. Not just because it was set in Buffalo. I just loved Rosemary. Yeah, well, you know, don't worry. I feel like if that would have happened, we wouldn't have asked you to do this. So you sh- that should have been like the first clue to you that the dog was okay. Um, we-, we-, we know not to do that to you, Anna. Okay, I have a decision. It's a tough one. I think it kind of leans on the the thinking of of Anna's. It's I think we're going to get more Corinthian. Maybe not in the same form, but you know, Dream himself said, you know, he didn't want to destroy him. You know, he's going to rebuild him, remold him, and so maybe we're going to get a different idea of Corinthian, and we get to see a whole different kind of performance from Boy. That'd be great. But I do think we're maybe done with John D. At least in this set of I, this story. And if we're not, I'll be happy. But the story they told with John D. with his mother, with with Rosemary in the car, and then the diner was just enthralling. I loved all of it, and it was one of my favorite parts of the series. So I, I gotta lean John D. for my vote. Uh, Anna, is it a sweep? No, I mean, Anna, obviously it's not... You went with John D. 
<laughs> but um, no, you went with Corinthian. So I'm sure Corinthian. Yeah. Kyle, what's the tiebreaker? Um. Yeah, I, I I just want to speak to all three of these performances real quick because yeah, these are all fantastic. Um, Mason Alexander Park just fucking chewed up the scenery as desire. I almost voted for them or nom- nominated them for uh, the Wallflower Award, but again, it's one of those things where it's like this is only season one. Clearly, because of what you know, the way the finale plays out, we're going to get much more of them and the other siblings. Right? We're going to see more of. Um, God, who was the sibling with them that was conspiring with them? Um, uh, shit. I know it's a D, obviously. Uh, whatever. The, the one that was conspiring with Desire and then also Delirium, who it was, was off screen. Despair. Despair. That's right. All I could picture was um, was sadness from the movie Inside Out. And I was like, it's not sadness, but it's it's Exactly. That no, it was Phyllis. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it was Phyllis. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so I I just thought Desire was fantastic. They just yeah, they were iconic, chewing up the scenery, very, very conniving. Y'all nailed that. Um I thought Boyd was also fantastic. Uh the Corinthian is like we said, it's a very expanded role as opposed to what he has in the, the comic. And I, I think that, that was a great choice. And him being much more involved in the main conflict was a was a really cool choice. Um a lot of people have said that the second half of the season is a little weaker than the first half. I would maybe agree with that, except for the fact that he has a much bigger role in the second half, and that makes it really compelling. And I think that he just, yeah, like y'all, y'all nail that he just is pure vice. Like he just is all about uh, pleasure, and like the, he just takes so much pleasure in this all this evil stuff that he does, and it's great. Um, I'm gonna stick with uh, John D though. I just I, I think that David was just fucking on another level as as John, and I was really excited to see the way that he was adapted and. You know, even to him being a, just having that backstory with his mother was really fascinating. And then uh, I just think that he, it's hard to explain. Like I, as I was watching, I was trying to formulate what I found so compelling about his performance. And I think it's because he plays it with a sense of like, almost, I wouldn't say childlike innocence, because clearly it's not, but like childlike naivety or like because like the way he runs into rosemary and meets her it's very like childlike right and then her in the back of the car he has this very like it's all about david's facial acting but he has this like look that he gives and you immediately think that you feel very sympathetic of him and you're like oh my god like this guy needs to be protected he seems very helpless and then you watch in episode five the way he just ruins these people's lives uh yeah, I just think that he was so, so good at doing that and flipping that switch and going from almost innocent to just pure, pure evil. So I'm going to vote for him. And the winner is John D. Up next, the Seasons of the Mist Award. All right, yes. The My Drop Award, the moment in the series that just had your your jaw on the ground, just had you just shook into the core and the one that just really amped up everything, that just really changed the the story and where they're going with it. Anna, what's your not? So I wrote down one thing here, other than Desire um, hooking up with Unity, and I can't really remember what it was. All I wrote was fucking Gengar. 
I think it's a Azazel at the end, I think, was the mic drop. <laughs> I think that's what I was referring to. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, yeah, when that scene popped up, I thought, oh, like, Gwendolyn Christie is Lucifer. Like, that's pretty cool. And then we don't really see her again for a while. And I was just really curious how they were going to wrap this all together. And then you see Lucifer and Azazel talking. And um, it, it gives very large big bad vibes and I'm really interested to see how they're going to take this character arc in the next season because there is a bigger bad other than the devil (laughs) also how cool was the character design for Azazel that was fucking awesome it really was that was wild like okay they went there this is the thing that is um, you can't really conceptualize what it even looks like. I was hoping that maybe they'll do that with the angels too, you know? Like, you know how biblical the angels are like, yeah, it's a beast with like a thousand eyes and everything. It's like, I want that. Um, okay, that's a great one. Kyle, what's your not? Uh, okay, I'm going to go with one that I kind of alluded to earlier. Um, it's a really shocking... It. It works for this award and then also kind of for, I, w- I will say I won't nominate it for the Great Expectations Award, but I think it works for both because it has ramifications for the future. But uh, Dream basically claiming Lida's baby because the baby was born in the dreaming. Like it's of his realm. Um, that's a moment that's very iconic and I knew was coming, but it was still a very shocking kind of, it's a, it's a real reminder of like how much of a dick dream can be sometimes. And the fact that he's so rigid on, on these rules, but like, yeah, I I just, that was a huge moment and a great, just like record scratch of, I think it happens in episode, I want to say like seven or eight. So pretty close to the end episode six, I think is his real turning point when he gets to kind of shadow death on her uh various escapades and then we get to see his story with um uh with hob but i think that so we we kind of start to really see him turn a corner and maybe have more faith in humanity or whatever and then that happens and you're like damn it like he's still he hasn't learned his lesson he's still kind of uh tied to these rules and tied to these like his domain and so i feel like that was a really really great record scratch holy shit moment of like what what does that mean like how is he going to come for this baby like what what does that mean for lida and her story so that's uh that's my nom hell yeah that's a great one um so i'm going to go with one it To me, it really spoke. It really gave us the first inkling of who Dream kind of is. Mentioned it a little bit earlier. But it was just such a touching scene. It was such a mind-blowing scene. It was sad. And I'm just talking about when Dream absorbs Gregory. It's just another moment of Dream kind of being an asshole while also doing what he he thinks he has to do. It's him being the the king of Dream. and, And just... Like, it was so heartbreaking. But he does it in such a gentle way. He's like, you know, he's like, I'm not here to ask you to. I'm here to ask Gregory. Like, you know, and just the, the, the talk between the two was so, so sweet and sad. But it's just like, damn. And then you see that happen. It's like, okay, well, damn, okay. I'm really sad for Gregory. 
but Dream looks like he's uh, he's able to do some shit now. So let's see where we go from here. Really gets the story kind of pumping and going, while also giving us a really big window in, into kind of the who who Dream is and who's who he can turn into too. So that's my vote. Um, well, that's my nom rather. I don't know if it's gonna be my vote, but uh, Anna, what's your vote? I totally forgot about Gregory and now I'm emotionally distraught again. Um, I think for me, it's probably going to be Dream Claiming Lyda's Baby. I think that one was probably the most shocking. And then again, Dream has never really grown up in like the traditional human family, right? So that bond is just not as prevalent to him. But to everybody else watching the screen, they're just like, did he just really do that? He did. And now poor Lyda is going to have to live in this constant fear of when is she going to like lose her kid for the rest of her child's life, right? She could just like drop her kid off at school one day and then never know where her child is. And that, to me as a woman, is terrifying. All right. And Kyle, what's got your vote? Uh, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna vote for that one as well. Um, it, I'm really excited to see how it plays out. Just knowing like what they could pull from. I will say, yeah, we have not seen the end of Lyda or the baby. They're gonna play a big role in future seasons. Um, just a quick aside too, because like the show, I think correctly, this is the right choice. They're not gonna address it, but for a bit of comics context. Um, Lyda is actually the daughter of Diana Prince and Steve Trevor in the comics. So she's literally Wonder Woman's daughter. Um, I think that's really cool. Um, I don't obviously they're not going to play with that in the show, which I think is a smart choice, but gives some really interesting context to her character arc and and the baby's arc. Um, but I'm really interested to see how that plays out. But it is a very shocking record scratch um, moment. Um, so I'll vote for that as well. But Anna, what you got? Wait, so not only is he taking this woman's child, he's taking Wonder Woman's grandchild? Obviously not nope. to play into that show, <laughs> but uh, my brain hurts. My, you broke my brain, Kyle. <laughs> All right, so Damon, is that going to be a clean sweep? What's getting your vote? Yeah, it's it's got to be a clean sweep. I mean, it, it kind of goes along with the Gregory absorption. It's just an extra step further. And it's like, okay, well, we don't, I don't really agree with this one, Dream. What, what the fuck? It's like, do you really got to do that? Like, was this really the only thing we could do? Is, is that really going to solve anything? And obviously we're going to get some more stuff coming from it in the future. Um, so I really want to see where we go from there. But it's just like, damn. Like, I, I kind of hope Rose, like, beats you down or does something to you like that's just it was a bit much and really just shows you how how complex dream is he he can do some good stuff and be just a right dick he, he is a brick so that would be my vote as well and the winner is dream baby napping light as baby and up next the hope and hell award That's right, the Hope and Hell Award, this episode's version of uh, Best Location Design. I believe this one was debuted in the Pixar Effies. Um, we had to use it again for this show because 
so many just fucking really, really cool uh, locations, both conceptually and just visually. And we loved the way they were designed. Um, so Anna, kick us off. What's getting your nom for best location design? So I'm actually going to nominate Hell. I think, you know, but not just like the castle of Hell. I'm talking about the actual like steps of Hell and the journey that they're taking. So when you do this one, when they're walking through the trees and Matthew's like going up to fly and then the people are the trees, like that's so terrifying. He's like, nope, I'm not going up there. Right. Um, it's just really spooky. And it's just something subtle like a forest. Right. So they they did everything with very small intention and it was very well done. Uh, like the mist was super creepy. They're working their way up to the castle. They're passing like the prisoners and, you know, Dream's ex-lover can't remember the name i think it's nida if i remember correctly um and then you know you get to the castle itself and then you see the masses and hordes of demons outside uh just that whole episode was phenomenally done the the graphics were just top notch 10 stars all right that's one nom for hell damon what's getting your nom for best location design okay Hear me out. This might be a little out of left field. But the pub. The inn. Just, like, it's one location. Technically two, okay? You know, if we're going to parse hairs, you know, the, the ending inn. But aside from that, the, the end, we see it over a hundred years. Like, a hundred years later, a hundred years later. And we see the little small changes and how certain things don't change at all. It is just... I don't know. And each time it was just this very lively, fun pub. And, and you know, I, I love pubs and especially in like fantasy settings, you know, they're a place where, where a lot of stuff happens. You have a lot of fights, you have a lot of hearty drinking and people getting together and meeting for the first time and singing. And this, this adventure, this journey in this pub of seeing these two people who become friends over, what is it? 600, 700 years. Was it, did it start in 1300? I forget. Was it 1400? 1389, yeah. So for that long, it was just so fun to see not only the gradual progression of those two and their clothes, <laughs> which was great, and their wigs. Um, it was fun to see the pub itself and evolve and grow over time and how they got to it and everything and, and just the vibes of it all. So that would be my vote. I mean, my nom. Uh, Anna, what you got? I what I really loved about that particular location was the transitions between the time periods. They use the doors very intentionally, and yes. I, I loved that. Um, and then they started switching it out and made it like a normal transition. I was like, no, keep the door thing going, man! Like that was phenomenal. Um, yeah, no, that was that was a really fun location. It's excellent attention to detail. That's a really really great pick. Um, Okay, uh, let's see. I'm going to go with also one that maybe is a little out of left field because we don't really spend a whole lot of time there. I, I mean, because Hell was my, like, obvious first choice, I'm going to go with one that's, yeah, I really loved the rendering of um, Cain and Abel's House of Mystery. I thought that was a really cool detour, and I, I, I thought that the kind of little side venture into Cain and Abel as like this myth, but also this legend and like the fact that he's just constantly killing him. was really funny. Um, but there, yeah, the house was really cool. I thought it was like, 
it felt like something that leapt straight out of the page, but also like a wholly new creation. And I don't know they, they balanced that. It was really just this entire show. With the, There's a lot of VFX that went into uh, this show, and I thought it was handled really well. Nothing really looked wonky or fake, and especially this house. I think it had potential where it could have looked a little goofy or like maybe a little too you know, uh, animated or whatever, but it was great. I, I thought it was, again, we don't spend a whole lot of time there, so it's a little bit more of a, a reach, but I, I thought it was really fun. So I'm going to nominate that one. Okay, so voting-wise, I don't know where I'm going with this because Hell was really cool. The House of Mystery was great. I, you know what? I'm just going to stick with the, the pub, the inn. Be just... Like I said, it's just really fun and clever the way they're able to really show us the difference and the change and the growth of this one location uh, through the ages. And like Anna said, the transitions from scene to scene were great. And it was just, I don't know, really, really great, subtle location that uh, I really liked. So that gets my vote. Um, what say you, Anna? These are honestly not the ones I thought you guys were going to go with, and I'm I'm really impressed. I don't know why I expect everybody to just pick, like, the obvious choices with these awards. Um, the thing I really liked about Cain and Abel's House of Mystery, and, like, I, I just did a little bit of research while we were talking here, and apparently Neil was the one who came up with, like, the Graveyard Resurrection one. So when I saw that in the back of my mind, I was like, oh, yeah, Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. And then I'm looking at the comic, and I was like, Nope, Neil came out with that first. They they definitely jacked that from him. Um, but yeah, it was like a really fun, really fun place to explore. Like it was just like a really normal looking house from, it was like made out of stone. It was very cozy and fun. Um, you know, you had gargoyles, which is fantastic. Uh, the pub was also really fun. But I feel like, the fun thing about the pub other than the transitions was really just the costume design. Cause the, the pub itself didn't change that much. Um, and then hell's kind of the obvious choice there. I feel like I'm going to go with the house of mystery with Cain and Abel. Cause I think that was really fun and un unique. Very nice. One vote for Cain and Abel's house of mystery. Kyle with the tie. Once again, what you got? <sighs> Damn, this sucks. <laughs> I was really expecting to be easily voting for hell as a clean sweep. Uh, <laughs> damn. Um, yeah, they're all really great. And you like, there's great cases to be made for all three of them. This is a lot more difficult of a choice than I expected. Um, I want to vote for hell, but we don't have a, like a, a second tiebreaker to and I'm not bringing that on here to talk about Lucifer's Starfighter. Um, so I, I'm going to go with the end. I think that y'all made a really great case for it in like the transitions and watching the, the real subtle differences and, and how it evolved as time evolved. Um, I love that story from the comic and I think that it was adapted really well. And there's more to talk about with some of the other people that he meets <laughs> in that end over time, some of the historical figures that he meets. Um, but for the location it's itself, yeah, I, I, I love the rendering of, of the end. So that'll be my vote. I just love how none of us actually picked like the dream realm or like Fiddler's Green, which were like the most beautiful places, right? 
I just thought that was great. Um, and the winner is the Inn. And now for the Lord of Dreaming Award. Yes, the valedictorian, the best performance uh, for a character in this series, season one of The Sandman. Um, we're hopefully going to get more seasons, at least the season two. But for season one, who gave us the performance that we just we loved? It was undeniable. It, it made the season what it was. Let's go with Kyle. What you got? Thank you for going to me first. I am going to repay you by taking Kirby. <laughs> I, yeah, I got to go with Kirby Howell Baptiste as death. Um, we talked about her already. She is just absolutely magnetic on screen. Just every scene with her is just so powerful and so charming. And the way that she plays off, off of Dream um, and really puts him in his place and tells him, like, dude, grow up. Like, <laughs> this is your purpose. Stop moping around. And, like, she gives him the pep talk that he needs. But really, you can sense the sibling kind of bond there and gives him the older sister talk that he needs. But also just in her interactions with the people that she um, takes away is really heartfelt and emotional. Like the scene with her and the old man, Harry, who's playing on his, you know, his viola or his violin. It's really great. And it's like, that was one of those things where it's not necessarily, I didn't nominate for like the mic drop award. Cause we understand who she is without it being said, but that it really clicks into place when she is like, I know who you are, Harry. Do you know who I am? And that dawn of realization. And it's also really sad that he is like a very old man and is still like, no, please, like, let me have a little bit more time. It's kind of how it is for everyone. Like, I just think that was done really well. And yeah, she just, I can't wait to see more of her in future seasons. But as, as for this season, I was just, it's really impressive because she's only in one episode. So maybe this is me, I, I won't say cheating. It's, I mean, it, it counts, but this is me kind of like giving an award to, a smaller role but i i think that she just yeah she was so in command of her performance and her arc and just really really i think it's one of the best casting choices in the show and a show full of really smart casting choices i think she was really fantastic also you know it thankfully hasn't been too vocal but the the vocal minority can go get fucked who complained about uh, a black version of death just because death is white in the comics go fuck yourself it's death like who gives a shit what they look like? Um, so they can go get. They fucked. gender bent thought, uh, Joanna, so like go fuck. They were mad about that too. I mean, they're mad about all of it, and I'm glad they're mad. I hope they stop watching. Um, but Kirby is is my pick because she's just fantastic as death. Those people are just the dumbest, most idiotic people ever. They they really are. I don't. They they make no sense. There is no basis for their their logic other than they're hateful so uh, that's it's flawed um so glad you went with kirby again death was great anna who's your nom for valedictorian fuck that's not one of the characters yet i think that's season <laughs> who is that is that one of the is that one of the endless is that one of the siblings that's one of the endless, I, right? okay <laughs> See, i know how these effies work with you two you never pick the obvious choices and then like always, wait, wait wait one award the, ago you just said i don't know why i'm surprised when people don't pick the obvious choice i know i like i pretend like i'm not surprised but then i am and like the person i want to nominate i don't think i can nominate because if i feel like if i don't nominate 
Tom Sturges, Sturridge as Dream, like he's just not going to get nommed. <laughs> so I'm going to nominate Tom and his cheekbones, but just know like my heart goes out to Rose Walker. I wanted to nominate you so bad. Yeah, I mean, I'm Tom needed to be picked. Like, I think that was one of the, the hard parts I felt like they had during the years of adapting this was like getting the right person to play Dream, having someone just had that physicality of that look while also having this very subtle um, ambient like presence about him, but still being intimidating in a weird way. Like, he doesn't look physically intimidating at all, but something about his presence, like... He just has that otherworldliness about him. He is a Tumblr girl's wet dream. <laughs> One exactly. That that's pretty much what it is. And that is the aesthetic they were going for, and they hit the nail on the head. <laughs> oh, that they did. Um, with with that being said, I I do want to shout out uh, Rose Walker. That was that she's on my list. But I just felt like this performance was a little bit more. And I mean, honestly, I think it's my favorite performance. It's it's Boy Holbrook is the Corinthian. Just from the beginning to the end, everything he gives us, it's magnetic. It's fun. It's creepy. It's haunting. The, the speech he gives at the convention was just like was something else. I, I loved when uh, he he goes to kill the person with his uh, with his new convention buddies. I don't like. Don't know why. I just was shot so well, and the way he's so, he seems so happy and satisfied. It's like we're gonna go kill somebody, guys. Let's go do this. It's just he embodies that absurdity and that just that psychopath that that serial killers, you know, are. And it's just I loved it. He was so fun. So I, I gotta gotta nominate Boyd, the Corinthian. Uh, Anna, thoughts? We do not murder for profit. <laughs> no, no, not at all. It's it's purely for pleasure. Only for and pleasure. You know what's actually really funny about them like casting Boyd in this particular role was that in like the early 2000s and like the Harry Potter role playing like forums, everybody used Boyd as like a Malfoy. Everybody. So like when I see him on stage or on the show, I just think of like a really dark Malfoy. I think of like a Braxis Malfoy from like like the the Riddle era. That's like the vibes that I'm getting here, and it's just so creepy. And he nails it, and I love it. Now that you say that, I remember people people using him all the time. They really did. He was a Malfoy or like that Slytherin like a uh, step in, you know. Like the Malfoy that you can't be Malfoy because they won't let any original characters in because those people are like, we don't want to do that. It's not like I've only been on an RPG or two or three. But uh, anyways, um, dang. So, that, yep, that's my, my nom. That means we have Death, Dream, and the Corinthian all vying for Valedictorian. I, I mean, I'm happy with any of them getting this, but who's going to get the W? Kyle, who you got? I am so fucking torn between death and dream. Um, I, I, I love the Corinthian as well. He was fantastic. Everything you said, Boyd was great. I'm really happy for him getting another 
comic book villain role after whoever the fuck he was supposed to be in Logan. I love Logan. I he felt very out of place in that movie, but he's so good as the Corinthian. Um, God, it's just so tough because like I stand by everything I said about Kirby as death. I think she's fantastic. Everything she does is just so great in that episode. But you know. Continuing the trend of what we do with the Effies, like Tom Sturridge, the lead role, and he deserves it. Like, I, I just think that he, uh, it's a, that's a big part of the reason this took so long to be adapted is because it's a very striking, iconic role. Uh, I remember being, I mean, it's a little bit before my time. And once I came to the Sandman a lot later in life, and then looking at some of the earlier fan casting, I remember seeing Joseph Gordon-Levitt had been attached previously and being like, wow, that would be really cool. I'd love to see that. And now it's like, I just can't, I cannot separate Sturridge. I cannot imagine anyone else in this role. Um, there's such a physicality to him, especially in the first episode when he's kept in the, the undercroft and it just is kind of like gazing out at everyone outside of the, the glass. And when he's freed and the way he's walking around and meeting with Lucian. And I just think that he, he nails it. He's, he feels like Damon nailed it in saying that he he feels otherworldly. And like that's Tom nails that. Um, so I love Kirby. I love Boyd. Um, also, shout out to David Tulis. I couldn't nominate him again, but he's also great. <laughs> um, I'm going to go for, yeah, for Tom as Dream. Uh, if he doesn't work in the lead role, this entire thing absolutely falls apart. So he, he nailed it. And that's why the show is so great. So that gets my vote. All right, one vote for Dream for Tom Sturridge. Anna, you going with your own nom? Are you really asking me if I'm not voting for a brunette with blue eyes? Is that is that what you're asking me here? It's kind of my I'm whole just, stick just, statement. Just confirming, just confirming <laughs> your vote. That's all. I gotta. Uh, I mean, Boyd is like a very close second, followed by David for me. Um, I just wanted to give Rose a shout out because. You know, she really did have such a great role and she was charismatic and I just really enjoyed her performance. I hope we see her more in season two. But yeah, it's got to be Tom, because if your your title character doesn't work. And he's not morally gray. And you, the thing is, with the series, it Tom really humanizes him, but he does it in a way that makes it more morally gray and, and interesting. Right. He's not just like oh, I'm the king of dreams. No, like there's some nightmares and some darkness in there too, right? Um, and even just his tone, it's very subtle the way he changes it um, and he commands it. But he's like willing to kill Rose. He's willing to take somebody's baby. He's willing to kill poor Gregory, who I will never forget in the 20 minutes I knew him. Uh, yeah, it's gotta be Tom. All right, well... I will I'll give I'll give Dream the sweep. I almost I almost went with the Corinthian. I just think he's my personal favorite. But like everything y'all said, if Tom doesn't nail this role, it doesn't work. And he just he makes Dream such a a character that you want to follow. Whether you you necessarily like him at first, you might not, but you want to find out what he's doing. You want to find see how he finds his tools. I need my tools. Um, you want to see what happens with him and Rose. Like, how do they, how does that all go down? And and you're like, oh, crap, I'm, I'm with Rose. Like, Dream, what are you doing? You, you can't just kill her. Just, oh, well, okay, she's going to kill everything. Well, 
well, shit, you still can't kill her, though. Th- that was just a really fun storyline, and I really liked how they, you know, you, you knew that they had to have some sort of a loophole runaround thing to and to get around it, and I, I really liked how they figured that out. But just, just Tom really, really encompassed what I felt like a character like this should be. It, it really gave you a lot to chew on and to think about, and he just has a lot of layers. And and I really want to see who he keeps becoming. I really loved his whole relationship with Lucian, um, and how like at the very end he's like, you know, I, I'm you're you're gonna help me out. And it's like, you know, I'm gonna stay down here and work on my dreams and nightmares for a little bit. You wanna you wanna run things, and just like that smile on Lucian's face was just great. And I have a lot of hope that he's going to make some big steps forward and probably a lot of steps back, because. That's no fun if he just keeps doing good stuff. He's got to still fuck up. Um, so that would be my vote And this week. And the winner is with a clean sweep, Tom Sturridge's Dream. And we'll be back with our nominees for a Midsummer Night's Dream right after a quick break. All right, a Midsummer Night's Dream. That's this episode's version of Best Memory. Basically, our favorite moment, favorite scene in all 10 episodes of The Sandman, season one. Uh, so, Damon, kick us off. What's your nom for this award? Um, so, there's some really good ones. And I feel like I just keep going back to this one just because it was so unique and different. And it brings me back to my childhood because of the, the what it references. It's It's just... Gives me like super fairy tale vibes. For one, this whole show gives me fairy tale vibes. It just feels like an adult fairy tale, which I feel like in a way that's kind of what Gaiman does. That's that's just what he he tells America. He tells adults uh, fairy tales, and like every even like at the end of the each episode, it has like the the really cool graphics and animation with like the really almost medieval uh, sounds going on with the score. Really great score, by the way. Um, in this part, this just screamed fairy tale to me. But the duel between Lucifer and Dream was just so brilliantly done, and so it was a battle where like not one punch or anything actually happens, but they're just saying what they are. They're, they're a concept of something, and the other person just keeps topping it, like just like kids, like oh well, yeah, okay, so you're. A, you're a Power Ranger. Well, I'm Goku. Okay, Goku. Well, I'm Superman. Okay, well, I'm you're okay, Superman. Well, I'm Batman who prepped. So, um, <laughs> I had to. <laughs> um, it, it just has that energy and that vibe. And also, I mean, it calls back to one of the best scenes in any animated movie ever. But the duel between Merlin and uh, freaking Merlin's gone complete blank. Freaking um, her. What is her name? Somebody, please save me. The witch's name. <laughs> I can't think of it. What are we talking? What movie, are we talking about? Sword in the Stone. Yes. Oh, fuck. Morgan Le Fay. Yeah, yeah. Duh. Of course. Mark. Yeah. The 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 fight that uh Merlin and her have, you know, in their shape shifting challenge. You mean Madame Mim? Mad, mad, mad. Yes. Madame Mim. That's that's it. That's what it is. Um, she turns like, into an alligator dragon. He turns into a mouse. They just like the back and forth was. Just... That's just what it calls back to for this, and it's just 
the way they would shoot back and forth between them just standing there, nothing happening, and being like, this is what I am, and it just kind of flashes to, to the concept and the whole idea of he is he's he's hope, and that just kind of trumps everything with such a cool, high concept. It's like, ah, I see what they did there. I like it. The show is very allegorical, very metaphorical, while also being literal in those those terms, and I just love this this manifestation of that. So that's got to be mine. I love it. Coolest imaginary fight since the one I had with uh, myself last night. Uh, Anna, what is your nom for this award? I I know I gave you guys shade for not taking the obvious choices, and I'm not going to do that this time. So shame on me. But I'm actually going to pick Galt becoming a dream and being pulled back from the darkness. I just thought, well, one, Galt's character design was phenomenal. It was like really dark and eerie. And then Galt got pulled back from the darkness from their sentence and then became this dream, you know, that while they were a nightmare, their colors were like blue and green and like really dark. When they became a dream, it was like pinks and purples. And then you could see more of like the character's lungs, metaphorically speaking. I don't know if Galt breathes or not. Um, And you can see more of a heart internally. And then they had these beautiful wings come out and then Galt like, just does like the stereotypical like up up and away shot right um and it wasn't just like regular wings it was like really cute like butterfly wings and it was just so hopeful and sweet and I really hope we get more of Galt in future seasons but you know they really cared about Jed and they didn't want to they wanted to provide an escape for Jed and that's why they went rogue right you just thought oh it's a nightmare like they're gonna be fucking some shit up and you know someone's coma dream right and it's like no they were trying to protect this poor sweet child and it was just a really sweet like side plot and I really enjoyed it so I was upset when Galt went away to the darkness and then when they got rebuilt as a dream it was brought tears to my cold frigid heart I love it uh okay two great noms I'm gonna go with one I've already talked about it quite a bit we've kind of all three talked about it I'm just going to keep giving love to both this episode and character in this moment. Um, I'm going to go with death escorting Harry uh, in the sound of her wings, episode six. Um, yeah, I think that this show, this season, and then both, you know, also the source of material that pulls from, they they deal with very, very high concept stuff. Um, a lot of a lot of concepts about dreams and their importance in our life and the role they play and, and different demons and the moral implications of like the the choices that dream makes and just a lot of very high concept stuff but the the concept of of death like being this very comforting um reassuring presence escorting you away is really powerful and just a very resonant theme in in that episode uh and i think that that moment in particular, there's a couple encounters we see, obviously. So, like, we see the very beginning when she tells the guy playing soccer that she'll see him later, and that kind of uh, comes full circle later on, and the baby that she has to take away and stuff like that. But I think the one with with Harry, the, the old man who's playing Schubert, is just really beautiful because it's like, first, you know, they come up there, and he stops playing, and she's like, no, don't stop. And you can tell that she... She's there to do a job, 
but she also just appreciates life in a way probably only death can, right? Like that's the the power of it is like she appreciates all these small things and, and the fact that he's playing this beautiful classical piece. And then once he understands who she is and what she's there to do, of course, of, there's at first some fear and some pain and he asks for more time as I'm sure, you know, everyone does at that point in their life. But once he kind of resolves and accepts what's happening, I just think it's really beautiful. And we, I love that we don't see it like her actually taking him away. Um, we just see dream and we can put two and two together. And then she comes back and tells him, you know, let's go, let's keep going. Um, I think it's a really beautiful moment. I think that, like I said, like the concept of, of death as this comforting, uh, reassuring thing, as opposed to, you know, a lot of pop culture, renderings of death as this grim reaper really evil character or scary character um i love flipping it on its head and just looking at death as a natural part of life and a comforting presence like we we all want that at the end right it's just a, a comforting transition to to whatever is next and so um yeah that moment is just really really emotionally resonant and powerful and just kind of sticks in my head so that's my nom Does that mean I have to vote now? Because I don't want to. <laughs> you you have to vote between three phenomenal scenes. <laughs> um, you know, I really love the whole Galt tur being turned into a dream because it really touches on a lot of the stuff that sh tales and stories like this focus on are can someone escape their, their fate? Can someone escape what they're made to be, what they were born to be? Um, you know, Lucifer touches on this a lot. You know, pretty much the whole series um, is based on that idea. And just to see Galt be turned into a dream was just so great. I love that. They were beautiful. Um, I spoke about what I thought on the duel. Death escorting Harry to the afterlife. I said it earlier. It's just, it, it's so touching and, and done in such a simple but meaningful way. Um, I love Death's performance, of course. We talked about that before. Um, it's really tough between that and the duel. Um, I, I think I'm, I'm going to lean towards the duel just a little bit more. Um, I don't think we've given enough love to, to Lucifer on this, uh, on this Effie's. And I just think that scene really gives us a really good start for the two, because we know that they're going to probably clash coming, uh, in the future. So for it to start in such a high manner, uh, can only keep going. So I love the momentum they built up with that. It was just shot in such a cool, unique way. I really love the way they shot that. So that, that's that got my vote. All right, Anna, what's getting your vote for this award? Okay, guys, I get it. We love Kirby. The show is not about Kirby. <laughs> so I'm not, while I did love that scene, I feel like the fight sequence is far superior. I wanted to throw Galt in there because I feel like we've been focusing a lot on the and on Kirby and a lot more of the other things. And I just wanted to give Galt a shout out. Um, the fight sequence was phenomenal. And like Damon said, it had very uh, Merlin, Madame Mim vibes. But it was super creative and graphic. Um, you know, and the whole concept of this series is really 
it's like that quote in Harry Potter was like only in darkness can you find the light or something I can't remember the quote off the top of my head um and I think this scene showcased it beautifully in a variety of different ways um not only was the acting on point the graphics were beautiful and the tone was just very warm coming from dream which is normally he's very cold and standoffish so yeah it's got to be the fight for me yeah, it's a clean sweep. Um, all three of these are fantastic, really great scenes. I think the three correct choices, but I think the what they call the oldest game, or you know, Dream versus Lucifer. I think that will be like the scene that is shown when in, in we're right now just like the show just came out. But I think in future, looking back at this season, people will think about this scene. Um, it's just so creative and so visually stunning and. We haven't even mentioned, we also get a great little like pep talk from Matthew the Raven when he's talking about how like dreams don't fucking die is just so cool. And like that gives Dream the ability to keep going. And um, because you genuinely do think that he's done for when when Lucifer, you know, uh, retaliates with uh, I am nothing. And like uh, that, you would think that would be the end for him. But the fact that he comes back with a dream and, and, and wins, uh, I think it's great. And I think that like, yeah, Damon said, they're setting up for some, a great conflict between the two characters, lots of great source material to pull from there. And I'm excited for what we do with hell going forward. But uh, for now, for season one, I think this duel is just like the most striking scene. So that gets a clean sweep. And the winner is Lucifer and dreams fight sequence. And up next, the Sleep of the Just Award. Yes, otherwise known as Game of the Year, the best episode of the season. Uh, season one of The Sandman, giving us 10 episodes. Apparently, it was they filmed two extra, and they, they decided to uh, hold those for the next season. So, um, very interested to see how those go. I think they ended it at a perfect spot. I think it was perfectly... Great ending, I, I thought. Really well done. Um, which three episodes will get the noms, and which one will get the W? Let's start with Anna. What you got? Oh, no. Oh, they're all so good. Um, I feel like I'm actually going to take a page out of Kyle's book, and I'm going to go with 24-7. The diner one. So he's using the Ruby's power to eventually like bring out their inner desires and have them live their own dreams, um, which turns out to be pretty murderous. Um, John crushes the Ruby and then by destroying the Ruby, the power goes back to Morpheus. Um, so he took he takes pity on John and he takes him back um, and he basically puts him to sleep. And then you have Desire kind of like plotting in the background. It's just a very dark episode. Um, and it was just very entertaining. Like I was watching through my fingers the whole time. And, you know, it was just so well done. And it's really hard to do a bottle episode. Like this one wasn't like the traditional, like it's only taking place in this one room. But to do that kind of scene setup where basically you're only in the diner for the majority of the episode is very hard. You don't have that much to work with, right? They basically have the bathroom, uh, the, the diner area, and then the kitchen, and that was it. Um, and considering it was 
a very small cast and they were all interacting with each other and building on that chemistry. And then you had the, I think it was like the snap reset, if I remember, and then they start from scratch. And then it's basically like a timeline, like how many different ways can this go until you meet the ultimate end? It was just, it was a total mind fuck and I loved it. It was definitely a mindfuck. Very proper uh, explanation for that episode. Kyle, what's your nom? Uh, yeah, and I'm glad you took it, which means I can keep being obnoxious and talking about what you don't want us to talk about. I'm going to talk about The Sound of Her Wings, episode six. Um, I, I think this episode is is the perfect cure to 24-7. <laughs> like, you get the darkest uh, humanity has to offer, and then episode six kind of brings us back to death's perspective and the beauty of life. Um, like I said before, the issue in which Dream kind of follows death around, and then also the issue in which we see his relationship with Hob, they're not back-to-back in the graphic novel. There's some space in between them, and so I really love the choice of pairing them together in this episode. I think thematically it makes a lot of sense. Um, And also, it should be noted, like, the graphic novel came out, I think, began in, like, 1982, I want to say seven, 1988, so late 80s. Um, and so that's a big change. You know, in that meeting, Dream meets with him in in, in the 80s. Um, obviously, in, in, in this adaptation in the 80s, he was... Uh, he was locked up, and it's now set in the present. And the fact that he wasn't there, I think gives so much more depth to their relationship and to this episode and like gives us a great kind of conflict there of like this is kind of dream's only friend uh really truly his only human friend and so the fact that that's tested and and we we, hob doesn't know why dream doesn't show up he just assumes it's because he insulted him you know a hundred years ago and then you kind of you get the reunion um in in present day and and him talking about how I, I had to meet with a friend or whatever, whatever line he says. Um, it's great. I think they play it really well and it's very heartwarming. And um, yeah, it, it where 24 seven really excels as a contained bottle episode. You can't really call this episode a bottle episode because it's more than one location, but it still is kind of a standalone thing in that it doesn't really have a whole lot to do with the rest of the season or the conflict. Cause we don't really get to the Corinthian stuff until after this episode, but I think it still does a great job of giving us a breather before going into that second half. Um, and it's just great watching Dream interact with both Death and Hob. Like they're the two kind of people that really bring him back from the brink. I think. Um, and then going forward, he still makes some questionable choices, but like he at least has that perspective after this episode. Uh, we talk a lot about those kind of episodes. We talked about it with like with the Marvel shows with like Hawkeye and Falcon and the Winter Soldier. We get like the calm before the storm, right? The episode where they're just being people and like being friends. And I think that's kind of what this episode is or this, this show's version of it, where it's just dream interacting with death, his sister and interacting with Hob and their, their connection. So uh, I think it's a really beautiful episode. So I'm going to, I'm going to nominate that one. So I figured that would happen. So I'm going to go with the third best episode of the, of the season. I believe A Hope in Hell was just a great episode. 
it's so while see well episode three gave us Juana and some interesting stuff. I just feel like episode four is really where the show really really gets going. It really gears up. We get an idea of just what is going to be going on for the season. Just you know what kind of a threat that Lucifer can be is going to be. Uh, we get a very small hint of of Dream's life before this Earth. Is, did they say it's this lifetime? Kyle, talk to me. Um, the, so everything has been destroyed before, correct? Or what do they consider that? Kyle? Are, you talk, are you talking about like his connection with, with Nada? With Nada and like how, you know, they he, he's mentioned before in other episodes, like he, he messed up before and the world, like everything just went away. Like was, is that just literally everything? Yeah, I think I'm trying to remember to do it. I can't think off the top of my head of what like the explicit answer is in the in the graphic novel, but I think it essentially is him saying that like because the the endless exist outside of you know time, obviously. Like I think he's talking about like his previous lives as a mortal or like you know taking on the the place of a mortal. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't think he's really talking about like everything, but that's it's like in his in his context, that's what he's referring to. Okay, because I thought okay, I thought because I thought another vortex. He messed up with the vortex, and the vortex destroyed everything. That's I think that also could be what they're getting at. Again, it's one of those things where like I wish I could just recall from memory and tell you exactly because that's also possible. And I think that that's maybe we'll see more of that in season two because I think the dream vortex is a really cool idea. So that could also be possible. And that's what kind of what I'm getting at with Nada. It's Nada, right? Because, you know, I think we're going to see more of her or maybe get their story told of, like, their love story and what happened between them and what the hell she did for him to never forgive her. Um, very interested in that. We, we get the, you know, we get some great banter between Dream and Matthew. He's, he's like, fuck you. Like, he really doesn't want Matthew to be there at all. <laughs> and Patton just is being Patton as a dead, as a bird. Like, it's straight up Patton Oswalt, pretty much, and I'm okay with that. And we get Lucifer and Mazakine. I mean, Mazakine's look is great. I, I love the I love the face she has going on. And and then just Lucifer and Dream, their whole battle, of course, happening. And then all while this is going down, we get we get our guy John D and Rosemary and just this very really great great car scene, you know, just her being an amazing person and and talking to this person who's, you know, bearing his soul and telling her that he's you know he's done bad things and but for for good for a good reason and and just laying it all out there and you know just talking about how lies are are bad and and the whole time you're just like oh god is she going to survive what was going to happen with dream and and hell you know it's just a when when the b story is just as good as the a story if not better i don't think this is better than the a story but i think it's just as good like those are two very very great stories going side by side. It's just an excellent um, episode of television. So that would be my nom. All right, three excellent noms. This is this is correct. This three episode stretch is the peak of this season, right? Like episode four, five, Definitely. and six. Um, impossible choice now. Anna, kick us off. What are you voting for? I, real quick, I wanted to give a shout out to episode one and Tywin fucking Lannister. 
because that episode was also really great. I think we had a fourth person on the Southeast that were probably would have been the one drafted. Um, I think I am going to go with a hope in hell because the fight sequence, I think, is setting us up for future seasons. And it was just very well done. Hard stop. I, I don't enough. have to sell it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> One vote for a hope in hell. Kyle, what about you? Uh, I'm going to go for um, 24-7. I think that, you know, there's a lot to be said. Like, Anna put it really, really well, so I won't retread a lot of it. But for a bottle episode that, you know, all takes place in almost all in, in one location and a very confined location, I think it's just... It really it makes the episode feel like a stage play, um, and it's just this very small cast of characters just acting their fucking hearts out. Uh, and yeah, like I've talked about it before, the, the the issue that it's based on is just wildly disturbing and upsetting, but so damn effective. And this, I also love. There's a a lot of if you go in back and rewatch this episode, there's a lot of really great attention to, to de- detail in like the background. So like with the TV broadcast that's happening basically throughout the entire episode um you'll get like kind of snippets of news stories of these really horrendous things that are happening in different parts of the world and then when everyone decides to start hooking up you randomly hear this news story about like these zookeepers getting their pandas to start mating at the zoo and it's just like it's like this great kind of tongue-in-cheek really dark tongue-in-cheek uh commentary on like what's going on in the episode about people just giving into their base desires. Um, yeah, and I think that, like, there's a lot to be said about, like, horror is very subjective. And, I, you know, one thing that scares someone may not scare someone else, but I think that one of the most effective ways to do a horror story is is when the uh, supernatural force or the, the evil force is not, like, just trying to hurt you for no reason, but is 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 basically killing you from within like that's what john does is just essentially like he reveals the truth about what these people want and then he kind of lets them tear each other apart and that's kind of the scary part of the episode right like it's it reminds me of um i was just thinking about it and it's about to leave my brain i hope it doesn't leave my brain there was another story that i can't think of where like a Oh, oh, it's it's Angel. It's the show Angel uh, with you know David Boreanaz, the, the Buffy spinoff. There's an episode early on in like season one or two where Angel is trying really hard to help this like haunted hotel uh, figure their shit out. And there's a ghost there that kind of does the same thing that John does in this episode, like reveals the truth about what all these people want. And they just start speaking their mind and it, they end up just kind of fighting each other and killing each other. The end of the episode, it's set in the past, and Angel ends up leaving and not helping them because he just gives up on humanity and decides that they're not worth saving. And I feel like that is what this does so well, is that the episode makes a really strong case for you as the viewer to believe that as well because we just watch these people at their absolute worst, and it's just like, yeah, that's... I understand why John's doing this. Obviously, we don't condone the, the stuff that he does and the acts that he makes these people do, but like... That's what makes it so compelling, and that's what makes it so scary. Is that at the end of the day, it's not a fucking like giant clown or a or a ghost or a monster. It's just people who are are wanting to do very despicable things. Um, so I think the episode is just a fantastic study in that. And and there was a lot of worry and fear about the way they're going to adapt it, and the way they do is just fucking phenomenal. So I got to vote for twenty four seven. 
that episode, by the way, is an all-time Angel episode. Fantastic. And that hotel plays a big part in the future of Angel. So, so uh, everyone, watch Angel. Fuck Joss Whedon, but, but watch Angel. Um, that's all I got to say. Oh, man. So, uh, I don't like both of y'all right now because my vote would have been for The Sound of Her Wings. I just love that episode so much. I mean, you have the, you have the, just like Kyle said, those two were not put together originally. They're, you know, there's some time apart, but having those two stories together, the tale of death, going and doing her job, taking people to the afterlife, juxtaposed against Hob, who refuses to die. And so they let him live and to have this, the centuries long, uh, journey and conversation with death is just beautiful. I just love everything about that episode, every single thing. But since you are making me pick something else, I'm going 24-7. Like I said earlier, it's made one of the most uncomfortable episodes of TV I've ever watched, and nothing really, like, obscene or gross really happens, but just the way that, that John D makes everyone feel and, like, just succumb to their their real true desires and their dreams and acting it out and just becoming consumed with it is just like a trope that you can never really get sick of if, if it's done right. I mean, you know, Kyle and I are big horror thriller fans. And so, I mean, we've done, seen this done a couple of times. You mentioned Angel. Um, it's just, it gives me Twilight Zone vibes, to be honest, this whole episode. Like, it's like you don't really know what's about to happen. You Okay. Unless you've read the, the graphic novel, I was like, cool. What's going to happen in this episode. And then you, at some point you realize, Oh, they're not, this is just about John. They're not doing anything, but this diner. You're like, okay, cool. What's about to happen. And then you like, Oh, okay. He keeps talking. Every, all these different people, they're starting to get their story going. The couple was my favorite part. I think just like, you know, like, I want a fucking salad, you know? And just, like, I love how they, they get, you know, you don't know that they can't leave, but you, you have an idea of it, and then finally they go to the door, and, they're and you know, they're like, you know, why not just stay, you know? Here's, here's the menus again. It's like they just, you know, they just entered again. It's just so, it was so disturbing. And John D having all those conversations with them were just perfect. And I... I want to watch it again just to see what I miss and what I didn't notice. Like I said, the lot, the lighting, the, all the red to, you know, give you the idea of the Ruby was so, so great. Um, so that's got my vote. Um, Anna thoughts or Kyle, you rose your hand. I'm sorry. What's uh, I just wanted to really quick, a couple notes about that. Just that you reminded me of, like some things about that episode. Um, one, so a lot, a couple of things are slightly changed from the source material, and I think they made it that made it even more effective. Um, for one, Bet, who is kind of our our central uh, character in in that episode, other than John, um, is actually quite homophobic in the source material, and and thinks that I think her name is Jane, or like the couple that is fighting. Um, she doesn't end up like wanting to be with her instead she's like judging them and, and and thinks that it's wrong that they're together and i think that would be effective but i think that this also is very effective and that she 
it's kind of internalized homophobia um, that she realizes that she has this desire for her that she doesn't even know she has until John highlights it. Um, and then I also wanted to point out really quick too, uh, there was, uh, what was it? Sorry. Oh, about the other episode, the, the sound of her wings. Um, really, really great. Like blink and you miss it historical figures dropping in when in the different like time periods in the end but one you should pay attention to is um dream coming across william shakespeare and making a comment on like how he might not be a great writer or whatever uh crossing my fingers and all of my other digits that we get it but there is a um uh, an issue of the Sandman called a Midsummer Night's Dream. That was a previous award, uh, or maybe this award, I can't, I can't remember, um, where he continues to like interact with Shakespeare in that time period and provide some inspiration for some of his plays. And we get some really great like side adventures with the two of them. I really hope they go with that because it's very light and contrasts a lot of the dark stuff that this show does. So I'd, I'd love to see that. But um, just wanted to throw those out there. But I think we have a winner. And the winner is 24-7. Up next is What Dreams May Come. All right. Final award of the night, What Dreams May Come. That is the Great Expectations Award. This is basically us dreaming. <laughs> this is us, our idea of what we want to see some questions we have, you know, there's a big cliffhanger at the end of the season with desire, um, but just some questions that we have going forward, what, what we'll do with the future of the show. I, I think we all hope that they get renewed for future seasons. So what is, uh, what's, what's the questions that we have that we want to see answered? Damon, what's your nom for this award? There's, there's a lot of questions I have. The one that sticks out to me, because I'm not sure if it's going to get answered, but I feel like they might. Um, it's when do we see Joanna next? When do we see Joanna Constantine? We got her in episode three. We see her, of course, you know, even as well as in episode six as her dis or, uh, descendant, you know, I mean, our ancestor, the other Joanna. And so, like, I'm just wondering, are we going to get more? Because as we said before, this is technically a DC story with no DC connection. Everything that has DC, they've wrapped it into its own little universe. So I'm wondering, I don't know if we see Constantine and more of Sandman in the graphic novel, but regardless, that means we could see more of Joanna. Maybe, like I said, maybe we see her team up and help Dream against Lucifer. Maybe she ha plays a part in another one-episode storyline. Um, regardless, what other, whatever it is, I'm, I'm wondering. I want to know if we see more jenna coleman as joanna because i i loved it and it wasn't enough that that's my question love that it's a great pick um anna what's your nom for this award oh man i have like 10 questions here see i'm torn between two i'm torn between well actually three of them I'm torn between desire hating dream, who is the prodigal, and what's going to happen to Lyda's baby. And those are all really solid choices. And I think I'm going to go with who is the prodigal because they just kept mentioning him throughout the series. And granted, if you read the graphic novel, like you probably know who the prodigal is, 
Um, I don't because I'm a schmuck and I'm very interested in it. Um, I really just want to see if it's one gonna like stay true to the graphic novel, even though I haven't read it yet. And two, how it's really going to play out in future seasons. If it was a small part, I don't think they would have mentioned it as much as it they did. So I'm pretty interested. That's a great pick. It's a great question. Those are both really, really great noms. Um, I am going to go with one that's kind of linked to that a little bit. Um, there is another sibling that we hear referred to by Desire and others, but we don't see has a really, really great meaty role in the comics. And I'm going to go with uh, the impending arrival of Delirium in The Sandman. Uh, I can't wait to see the most interesting sibling of the Endless show up. Uh, she plays a really cool role later on in, in like, I think, the eighth or ninth volume. Either way, I'm not going in with expectations because I, I enjoyed being surprised by the changes they made in this season so I, I i don't have any like preconceived notions as to how they're going to factor in delirium but same as what anna's talking about with the prodigal i don't think they would have brought her up if if not if they didn't have a plan and bringing her in so really excited to see the way they factor in delirium and then just the bigger question of like exploring more of those siblings bonds like we saw a lot of dream and death and then we get we got hints of whatever the fuck the beef is between desire and dream but I want to see more of that in season two and, you know, further seasons. I want to see whatever the, the tension is between these siblings. So that's my pick. Um, Anna, what you got? I just have a quick question for you. Um, without spoiling anything, who would you cast as Delirium as like a fan, a fan cast? Oh, my God. Um, I know I'm putting you on the spot here, dude. I'm sorry. <laughs> No, that's okay. It's okay. I've thought about it a lot. Uh, I, w I will say it's not one I would have thought of immediately. I will encourage anyone to check out the um, audible production they did of the Sandman because Christian Shaw voices her. Not at all what I would have expected, like a very left out of left field choice, but she is fantastic as Delirium. Uh, for like an alternate pick, I would maybe throw out, um, God, what's her name? See, this is the problem. I won't be able to think of names. Um, I, I I think she's in. She she plays the sister of Sherlock and Mycroft in Sherlock season four. I don't know the actress's name, but and I I will go on record saying I fucking hated uh, the season four finale. I think it was all over the place and very messy. But her performance was so damn good and so just nuts and and chaotic. I would love to see her take on Delirium, but I'm very excited to see who they cast. Uh, Sian Brooke, I think is her name is. I probably butchered that. That's Insanely. The That's the one. Based on the limited information you've told me about Delirium, I also, I, I, I'm just going to throw this name out there. I feel like Jessica Henwick would be really good. Um, because you know, girl can have colored hair, and the the only stills I've seen of Delirium, she's got colored hair, and you know she's a phenomenal actress. I feel like she could crush it. That that would be awesome. Um, yeah. So three excellent questions, Damon. Where are you, Lynn? What's getting your vote? All of them. 
I, I want to know all of, of the three. Um, I'm very interested in meeting more of the Endless. Um, I think I'm going to just go on the side of the Prodigal, just because like they, they did mention mention it a couple times, and I'm not really familiar with that who that is. I don't know who's it going to end up being, but I'm sure we'll see them, and they'll play a big part, and I'm excited to see that. So I'll, I'll roll with who is the Prodigal. All right, Anna, what's getting your boat? Um, I think I'm also going to go with the prodigal, but I just have to like shout out my weird notes again. I just wrote, uh, why is Gengar so sus? <laughs> For one of my questions, it's like, girlfriend, why can't you just like write like a normal human being <laughs> and just say like, what are Lucifer and Azazel up to? <laughs> Oh, man. It's the perfect way to write that question. Perfect. Um, so, okay, so I'm sorry. That's another vote for the prodigal? Or did you say? In prodigal, yeah. Okay. Just making sure. Um, yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna make it a clean sweep. These are all three very fascinating questions. There's plenty of more questions about, we didn't even touch upon, like, Lucifer and, and her conflict with Dream. Um, but... Yeah, I am also very fascinated. I, I obviously know who <laughs> the prodigal is, but I'm very fascinated to see the take on who the prodigal is and, and how they factor into the story. Um, I, it's really exciting. I, I love the concept of the endless um, just as an idea, and I love these personifications of, of different ideas like dream and, and desire and stuff like that. I think that's a really cool storytelling technique. Um, so I'm very, very excited to see what they do with just the rest of the siblings in general, but especially with the prodigal. I think that'll, we'll be seeing it maybe as soon as season two, hopefully if, if they, if they go with it, but, um, yeah, that gets the win. And the winner is who is the prodigal? And that is the last award for the Sandman Effies. Ooh, we got some, gave out some good ones. Looks like, uh. We covered a lot of stuff, you know. I, I believe they deserved all those wins. And now, let's just give some closing thoughts. Anything that we did not get to mention, any characters you want to shout out, any anything you didn't like, or just anything at all you want to say about season one of The Sandman. Anna, start us off. My husband, Patton, just kills it. Like, he does in every single thing that he does. I just, no notes. I wish he was in it more. Considering he's in all, like, seven of the episodes, um, one of the other questions I have is, I, I know who he is in terms of, like, DC-verse, um, who Matthew is before he died, but I'm really curious to see how they're going to change his, or adapt his backstory in Sandman. Um, also really curious to see, like, what the new nightmares might be, um, and... You know, I really loved Desire. Hopefully we season two involves more of like the the endless and the siblings, because that would be a really interesting take. Overall, I really enjoyed it. I think I'm gonna have to go back and rewatch it because it wasn't really a linear storyline. I think it's the start of a bunch of side arcs. And I know they were following it um from the actual comics themselves. So I think that probably is why my brain got a little muddled because I know sometimes like with comic books like they just go in a bunch of different directions like normal lives do 
Um, really excited, really well done. Tumblr girl, what Tumblr girls, wet dream. Um, whoever did this casting, I hope you got a promotion. I'm very proud of you. Just kind of wondering what cheekbones they're going to bring in for season two. <laughs> it's a very high standard. I love that. It, a lot of great high cheekbones in this season. That's for sure. Um, I just, I just really enjoyed it. You know, I really didn't know what to expect. I wasn't sure if I was going to end up liking it. I was kind of hesitant and I ended up enjoying it. Um, I think it ended up slotting somewhere around like, and definitely in like my top 15 shows I've watched this year. And it's just, you know, got to rank it somehow. But um, I, I love the performances. And I said before, it's like an adult fairy tale that Neil tells so well. And I love getting just transported into these worlds. They're very immersive. And uh, y'all stop laughing at me in my rankings. Um, leave me alone. Kyle's We're not dying. laughing at you. We're laughing at the fact that you said top 15 this year. We're just <laughs> laughing at the fact that you are the binger of the cosmos. And I, I can't even think of like 15 shows I watched in the last five years. <laughs> I know. I think like this year alone, I can count like maybe four. Maybe. Do y'all want me to tell you how many I've watched so far? You don't, you don't yes. want me to tell you. you yes, don't want please do. This is new. This is new, complete seasons of television. Forty. What the hell, Damon? I have no I life. Leave me alone. I wish I had that much energy. I also. I have no life. No, trust me. It's just I, I do. I do nothing else. That's that's all I do. It, it's it's sad. It's quite sad. But I <laughs> to love give, how I'm chiding you. For like watching that many seasons of television. Meanwhile, I'm on like book seventy something uh, for the years. So like, I'm really not one to fucking talk. We we all got our vices, Anna. We we all do. <laughs> um, but yes, no, Sandman. Um, I very much enjoyed it. Oh, correct that. It's number ten on my list. So even even more so. It's just I'm excited to see where they go. I love when. I'm a big world builder, okay? And so if you can give me a world that I can sink my teeth into with a mythos, with characters, with hundreds, thousands, technically eternity worth of history, I am in, okay? I want to learn these people and how they've existed, who, like, what were the relationships a thousand years ago? How are they now? Who's evolved? What's gone down? Um, where were they when this happened? It's just so much to go on, go on and it just makes for a more entertaining and intense story. You know, these people have so much history between them, like Dream and Lucifer. Just the idea of them two going at it and what that's going to entail has me super hyped. And I, yeah, other than that, I this is another story where I'm like, I want to read the graphic novel because I bet it's so good. But now that I've watched this, I want to be surprised by the show. So now I'm just almost kind of trapped, like, okay, I guess I got to wait for him to finish this this TV show now. Then I'll I'll read the graphic novels. I said that about Game of Thrones, though, and I'm, I kind of fucked up there. <laughs> Never going to finish that I scene. just started reading the Game of Thrones graphic novels. I finished the first one. It was phenomenal. The artwork is amazing. They have graphic novels now. I, I forgot about that. That's really cool. Um, graphic novels Volume one came out in like 2012 or something, I think. Like it's been out for a while. Oh, huh. okay. I never heard about them. Um, I 
the library, man. I found it the at the library. library. Everyone go to the library. Man. I need to go there. Um, yeah, it's that's all great. I got. The really good show. And if you haven't watched it, but listen to this for some odd reason, go watch it. <laughs> um, Kyle, your closing thoughts. Yeah, I hope. Yeah, I hope you didn't do that. I really hope you didn't do that. But um, uh, yeah, I honestly, yeah, I just I had like so much nerves but excitement going into this, and you know, with all the shit that's going on on the movie side with DC, Peacemaker and The Sandman are, are just. I'm really grateful for both of them, like being incredible DC adaptations on TV. Uh, I'm a huge DC fan and I I love to see these characters represented correctly. Um, So I'm really excited to see what they do with the future of the show. I need people to watch it so they get money for future seasons because I can't imagine the budget for this first season was small for how much visually was going on so i i just I, I hope they are able to continue making it at that level um but i'm excited i i think that there's so much rich rich lore to be adapted still in in these comics and and, and even if you're taking away their connections to the larger dc universe which i think is a smart choice i think the show has found a way to honor that without adapting it really well like especially with the stuff with jed um kind of being a superhero and like having the classic sandman costume from like the 70s and also like i think he wears like a static shop shirt at one point and you see like batman action figures and we can even like infer like anna mentioned earlier that john is staying at arkham asylum so it's there it's very much there in the background but it never distracts from what's going on um i hope it stays that way and i'm really excited about that and i just i yeah i can't wait to see what they do with the future of it i think neil gaiman's a really special writer and damon nailed it like he he writes adult fairy tales and that's the thing about the sandman is like it really defies genre because at some point it's like a historical drama historical fiction at some point it's a fantasy it, it goes into horror with 24 hours but like it really is just like an adult fairy tale and it's very it's a story about stories with the sandman kind of being this this storyteller um i think that's awesome i i can't wait to see more of it so give netflix money let them keep making seasons i'm i'm all in on it it was just a fucking for 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 a mortal like me who has only watched a handful of seasons this year it is probably number one or number two i mean i i don't see it being topped very easily um but anna what you got so Neil Gaiman has a master class and I started watching it just because he's a phenomenal writer and I thought it would be very interesting. And at the beginning of the master class, he describes the way that he writes as the concept of putting two separate ideas together and like taking something up and putting it upside down on its head. And the best example that he's actually done is actually one of the shortest things he's done. It's a hundred word short story about Santa Claus. And basically Santa Claus is being punished and he can't reach eternal sleep and he's just constantly being kept awake and it's just a really interesting premise and that's really what he's about um I actually got a book from the library called Nevermore that he's written and I'm pretty excited to crack that bad boy open but question yeah he yeah is Santa Claus being punished because he enslaved the elves to work for him for no money that's always been- uh, I, I think it's like his they're like his partners they uh, don't actually 
say what he's being punished for. Um, just that, you know, he's trying to go to sleep. It's in the, um, his book of Smoke and Mirrors. Yep. Interesting. Well, that's my headcanon is Santa Claus is a, is a slave owner. <laughs> it's not far off, honestly. Um, Anna, other than the Sandman, Neverwhere is my favorite that he's... I haven't read all, everything he's written, but that's my favorite book he's written other than the Sandman. Oh, so Neverwhere. I apologize. Yeah, it's, yeah, that's okay. I'm, but I'm very excited to see what you think of it. Speaking of, real quick, guys, can you rank your live-action Neil Gaiman adaptations real quick? Mine is Sandman, Good Omens, um, American Gods, I've only seen season one, and I can't count Stardust because I haven't seen seen Stardust yet. But we'll get to that. I was gonna say we were just talking about that. <laughs> we'll yeah. That. Is there any other? Oh, Coraline. Coraline is actually uh, three. It's not live action though. Well, just oh, no, adaptations, right? Not, I just not mean live action. Man. I just mean adaptation. Um, but yeah, is that it? Is anything else adapted? Does yeah. Lucifer count? No, because that's definitely not Gaiman's take on Lucifer. Okay. Like there's and on the DC side in the comics, Lucifer has his own side stuff that they pulled from for that show. Um okay. Jesus, this is hard because I haven't seen a lot. I also have only seen season one of American Gods. Um okay, so I'll, I'm gonna go and go ahead and just say this is number one because I think it's just as perfect as as like it's almost a perfect adaptation. Um I'll say number two is Good Omens. A book that I have not yet read, but I did really fucking love that season. I can't wait for season two. Um, and then I'll say three is Stardust. Fucking charming as hell movie. Uh, and then four, American Gods, season one. I'd have to rewatch it. I don't remember very well. And then five, uh, Coraline. I think I've seen Coraline like once, and I remember I was really freaked out by it. So I'll have to rewatch it. I don't remember much from it, but yeah. Anna, Man. what about you? So, I am incredibly biased when it comes to Coraline. So, Coraline is going to be number one for me. Um, but obviously, it's going to hit differently for me because I, I sort of went through a similar journey to Coraline. Not that you know I was fighting against other mother or anything. Um, so for me, it's Coraline because I'm biased. Sandman, Good Omens, uh, Stardust. Wasn't there like an animated version of Death somewhere in there? Um, and then yeah, American Gods shows. at the bottom. Um, only because I haven't seen American Gods. So, you know, I, I feel like I, I'm going to put American Gods off to the side. Nice. And well, and I, I see in several lists, people do list Lucifer. If if we count Lucifer, I'd put that. Uh, I don't know. Maybe it's not really. It, it's, it's really not different. Even, like it, what Kyle said, it's, it's like, more of like a crime show more than like a Neil Gaiman adaptation. They, they took the character and made it its own thing. He gets the credit because it's a character that he created or it's a take on the character that he created, but that's really where it stops. And the rest of it is like, it's a whole original I will thing. say, I hear that's kind of what Stardust is, though. Is it not? I heard Stardust is very different. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's pretty different, yeah. But Stardust is, like, charming, right? And you can kind of see 
Neil Gaiman in there a little bit, especially with like the air pirates and and such and the star falling to earth and that right. sort of thing. Lucifer did not feel like Neil Gaiman. It felt like a they a they. I wish I didn't know this before researching this Effies, but they were debating on bringing Tom in to be Lucifer. And it's like me knowing Jensen Ackles could have been Hawkeye. Like, that's just fucking devastating to me. And I wish I could go the rest of my life without living that. I understand where you're coming from, but I read that too. And I was really glad they didn't. Because I love Tom Ellis. And I think he's fantastic as Lucifer. But for that version, like, I think, I don't think it would have worked at all in this. I, I, I think that this is a very specific take on the character that it just, again, Tom is fantastic. And I love him, but I don't think it would have worked in this season. I think it would have worked though because Tom did a really stunning performance as Michael so he can actually twist and pivot that's That's true true. that's a good good point I think he would have crushed it um, but I think the reason probably why they didn't go with him was because one it's Gwendolyn Kristen and she's fabulous and two they wanted to really separate it and just be like oh well this is actually set in like a different universe right like it's not set in the real world like Lucifer's proposed true i will say too what could have topped all of our lists if they had gone a different direction and i was i defend eternals i don't think it's as bad as people make it out to be but he has a run on eternals that is fucking it's one of the best comic runs of all time so they could have adapted that and we could have had a top tier mcu movie just saying that's (laughs) what i've heard again the issue with eternals is not they were trying to cram thousands of years of theoretical content. Should have been like a show. Two and a half hours. Should have been a show. Should have been, should have been a, a, a TV show. With the budget of this, with the Sandman budget, it would have been so good. Yeah. Yep. Should have been a show. That that's where they fucked up. Apparently, they're maybe getting a a second one. Who knows what the, if that rumor is true or not? Um, I, I just I don't want them to kill the storylines they got. You know, those storylines deserve to keep going. They just need to adapt it into a TV show and leave it as a TV show and maybe be like, oh, well, we're going to do some flashbacks or something. Right. If only. <laughs> Harry Starfox. <laughs> yes. Um, did we have anything else we wanted to, to mention, shout out for, for the Sandman before we get out of here? We should have talked about Rose Walker more. I'm surprised we, sh- we did not bring her up. And uh, Jed is like the little Sandman superhero. He was so cute. He was really fun. They were great. That was a whole great storyline. Just, you know, her trying to find her brother and trying to get to him and how he was taken and she was a vortex, her and Lida together. The whole dream vortex idea is really fun, really cool. Um, I just felt like it just wasn't as good as those those three episodes that we that came right before it, you know. That, that's so, that's I, depending on what's going to happen in the second season, I'm almost wondering if they really should have separated these out per season instead of chronological order. And I didn't read the comics, so there might be a reason why. But for me, in terms of like TV land, it would have made sense. Like they explore the sleeping sickness and the grief behind that. And then they go into Rose and Jed's story. Um, and I mean, with the Corinthian, like obviously you had to do that together. But then, you know, you explore John D's story and Joanna, right? But again, I, I haven't read the comics, and there's probably a reason for that. Yeah, there's just so much to cover. I think that's probably what they would say is like they're in future seasons, they're going to have so much more to do that they had to do it this way to like lay the groundwork so that now they can like actually like go in order, you know? Yeah, that makes sense. 
yeah, I mean, do you got anything else, Kyle? I think I've pretty much said everything I can I can think of. I just I love this show. What about you, man? Yeah, I I have a million more things, but I don't want this to be a, you know, a six hour podcast. Um, I could talk about this show and this graphic novel forever. I, this is a new like obsession of mine now. Like this is I'm going to be so obnoxious about it in the weeks to come. So you have your warning now. Uh, make a new drinking game out of me on this podcast talking about the Sandman as much as I talk <laughs> about Fleabag. Like it's it's probably going to happen. Uh, yeah, but I'm just really happy how it turned out. And I, I'm happy we got to talk about it. We were we had a lot of fun. Anna, thank you so much for playing host duties instead of producer duties. We appreciate you as always. Um, this was fun. Yeah, let us know what you think, guys. Uh, yeah. yeah. And then to round August out, let's see, what do we got? Let me look. Got to look through all my Sandman notes. Um, all right. So we got some big episodes coming in the next couple of weeks. We just gave you an FE's for the Sandman. Next up is another FE's, but it is a hostile takeover. That's right. Next episode of the hostile takeover. We won't talk about guests yet. We want to keep you in suspense, but we you will not be hearing our voices. Instead, you'll be hearing some guest hosts talk about The Wire. So stay tuned for that. And then the week after to round out the month of August is another big one. Uh, different TV direction, but we're going to be talking about sitcoms and basically drafting our favorite sitcoms. Uh, I think it's going to get violent. <laughs> I think that someone's going to take a sitcom I want. It's I'm going to throw an elbow through the computer screen. <laughs> Yeah, it's gonna be bad. We're gonna friendships are gonna end, but it's fine. We'll be fine. We'll be fine. I, we we might be fine, but uh, yeah, it'll it'll be fun. So stay tuned for those episodes. We can't wait for you to hear them. We'll catch y'all next week. This is what we do.